G'day guys, it is The Coach here. We are talking Seraphine, we are talking space lizards, we are talking about the jungles of Lustria. Uh, don't boo me, don't press dislike already guys, please, please, please. Uh, we are talking all things Seraphine and we are talking the Starborn. We are talking about the ones that are probably kicking your butt at your next local tournament. And I thought instead of uh, hiding from it, Instead, I would look to the constellations and I would actually talk to the greatest slug that I know. It is Caleb Hastings, who is a very famous YouTube ch YouTuber with Seraphon. Um, and I thought to beat the opponent, I must understand the opponent. So Caleb had done a show with us before about the jungle side. We talked about the coalesced. And I had some really interesting lists around uh, what did we talk about? We talked about, you know, like the the old ones. We talked about, you know, some of like the Saurus Guard. And we talked about yep, some cool yep. lists. Stegodons. Those are my favorite. Oh, they're <laughs> so good. I, yeah, I, yeah. I'm, I wish that there's a day that I could run Feral Seraphon without any riders. And I just want to run at people with just dinosaurs. But <laughs> Caleb is going to teach us the secret source to the Starborn, the, the magical supremacy, the burninating of the peasants, um, and I'm super excited to welcome back. G'day, welcome back, Caleb. Howdy, y'all. How you doing? Ready to ready to talk some of the, the filthy skinks <laughs> and how good they are. Oh, my gosh. Um, that's, yeah. Look, look, I... Seraphon's an interesting one for me, and, and this is why I'm really curious to kind of... I, I wanted to talk about this much earlier, but as you know, the Battle Tome came out just as COVID hit. Um, and I know I was I went to a tournament in, in, in Australia, a 50-person tournament, just as Seraphon's book dropped. And, you know, it was literally that weekend that we hadn't had an FAQ just yet. Um, we hadn't really seen them kind of hit the competitive scene, and we kind of saw them in TTS, and I wasn't sure how real-life meta would play as opposed to online where I don't have to build, paint, and play with my – I can just play with my models. But now we've kind of had some time. We've had some practice. We've got events happening again in the world, and we're starting to see lists kind of hit the table. So I'm really, I'm really interested to unpack with you what is making them so great, how you're thinking about this particular build, and more importantly, how you avoided any FAQ nerfs. I, I, I remember watching your FAQ video. It is the most positive FAQ video I've probably seen <laughs> because I think from memory you're just like nothing changed. Lol. Yeah. Yeah, we had, I, you know, I even did a video where I'm like, okay, I think this is going to happen. We're going to get points increases here and here and here, and nothing happened. So, guys, our list building got easier. We could just keep plowing along with with Croak and lots of skinks. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. I thought at least Croak would get some uh, some yeah. attention. Croak yeah, avoided, yeah. avoided a bullet. Uh, <laughs> some bound endless spells, I thought. And look, I don't want to whinge. This is not a whinge, guys, please. I'm just, um, I think you are in a very, very good spot. And I think... Mm -hmm. um, there is a lot of strengths that you're playing to. And I think, you know, if you haven't gone to a real life tournament yet, if you haven't actually played uh, a tabletop simulator, I think this is the show for you to understand how Seraphon works, what you need to disarm if you're against Seraphon, or if you are a Seraphon player, how do you build and optimize the current rule sets? But Caleb, we talked Coalesce before, we're talking Starborn. What makes Starborn so much more powerful compared to the equivalent of Coalesce? So, guys, if you don't know, if you are new to Seraphon, there are two builds. I guess you you start a little path here and you either go Coalesce or Starborn. 
what makes Starborn so strong? Um, it's 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 an interesting faction because when well, when the when the book first came out, the new book, we're looking at the the War Scrolls and we're thinking they've killed us. These War Scrolls are terrible. And it wasn't until we started seeing all these different synergies that you can pile on to your units that all of a sudden it started clicking and saying, man, you can do a lot with this army. It's quite flexible. Um, it can be on the board where it needs to be, and it has the octane to put out the damage. And surprisingly, skinks can be pretty tough now too. Um, so you've got units that are fast, can shoot far, can pack a punch, and they stick, stick around for a while. And not all that is, is, is really apparent on the war scroll, but once you start adding all these synergies to it, the army starts to be pretty impressive. So, When, when you look at um, your other version, which is the Coalesced, the Coalesced to me is the destruction version of, of Seraphon. It is you build up something with some really strong synergies, you run up the board, you bite your opponent, you punch them in the face, you claw them, you know, you get some old blood stacking, you get some, um, you know, various different combinations, but you ultimately want to get in the middle of the board with your high speed and just get in your face of your opponent. The equivalent, which is the Starborn that we're going to talk about, is probably a lot more technical. It's more like playing Gloomspike Gits, Lumineth Realm Lords. It's got a lot of synergies, a lot of uh, things to consider. You've got a really big hero phase. Um, you've got a lot of combinations, but it's very technical. And if you make a mistake, whether it's a Holy Within mistake, whether it's not thinking about a certain rule at a certain time, you can be punished. And, you know, Lord Croak, especially in Starborn, has a big target on his head. Absolutely, absolutely. He's he's by crook by himself isn't that much of a threat. But once you add on his support cast, all of a sudden he he can he can dominate the board. You know, he's he he becomes that kind of god figure that you see in some of the other big centerpieces in an army. You have to you have to be weary of him. You have to figure out how you're going to deal with him or can you just ignore his spells for most of the game and try to deal with objectives. And so once you once you kind of turn him from a 300-point hero, which he is by himself, to a 600 with his casting support, then you've got a force that's going to that's gonna radiate out onto the board. And so it, it, he, he does become quite scary that way, and he can pump out a ton of mortals. He can dominate the magic phase. He's not going to do anything else in any other phases, but you don't care because you don't need it. He's going he's gonna to generate your command points. He's kind of that center point of the army, and you'll see him a lot in the Starborn armies, especially since he didn't get points increases. You're going to see him in a lot of Starborn armies. You might not see him as much as in Coalesced, although in Coalesced he's okay to generate your command points, which you always need. But in, in Starborn, he's, he's going to be center of the board in most of these games. Yeah, I've, I've even seen some uh, Stormcast lists now bringing in Croak. It was like an old school, right? A really early Stormcast would bring in Lord Croak um, or like a, the, star, the Star Priest, uh, the Scar Skink Priest. Mm -hmm. um, they would like, that would be a key ally because there's not a lot of people who can ally with Seraphon. And I'm starting to see Croak kind of being brought back. But you're right. Yeah. When you look at Croak as itself, if you, ha if you haven't played with Croak yet, guys, you haven't quite, quite understood it, um, you might look at Croak and go, he's all right. Like, yeah, he probably could go up to 400 points. Like, it's, he's all right. He's, he's good. He's got some cool strengths. But it's when you start to look at the synergies and you start to then overlay the Starborn rules that you can really 10x his results very quickly with a couple of key pieces. And I think that's the difference. On his own, Croak is all right. 
but you can 10x it. Probably there's no, probably no other war scroll in the game that 10x's as quickly as Croak. Yeah, you, you, you could tell the design of him was made. You're going to have to play him risky. You're going to have to get him into combat, which you don't want, so that he has a short-range area-of-effect spell that can explode multiple times. Somehow they forgot that there's a, a, a hero in Seraphim that extends his range another six inches, and then Bailwin Vortex um, extends it another six inches. So now his area of effect spell, which was supposed to be short range, <laughs> is now a 22-inch bubble that basically covers the entire middle of the board where, where most of the action goes down in, in Warhammer. And he's going to be popping that area of effect damage on a lot of units. So. so if you are joining this, guys, and you are not a Seraphon player, I think the first lesson you're, you're hearing here is how do I take down Croak? But funnily enough, when we go through the list, you might notice that Croak isn't probably the first thing you want to go through. Uh, but certainly Croak is a key piece. So if you're a Seraphon player, you're protecting it. If you are a uh, an opponent, you need to think about how do I handle Croak, who might be sitting at the back of the board. And Caleb's been really nice as well to actually give me some photos of deployment maps that we'll bring up later. But we're going to go through the rules now and we'll kind of show some demonstrations on how and why and what, what's so important in this particular build and um, and kind of get like the thoughts around, well, you know, we've got some battle traits here and, you know, as a, as a coalesced, just putting out, sorry, sorry, our Starborn hat on for a second, not our coalesced hat, you do have a couple of things. So you're going to get yourself um, the contemplative, uh, <laughs> you say it for me. Contemplations of the ancient ones. Thank you, Slard. <laughs> Uh, so at the end of your hero phase, you pick one friendly slant and you can replace the spell uh, from the law of celestial domination table with a new spell. So what's that mean? This, this, is, this is awesome because most of your wizard heroes, they pick one spell to go into the battle with. And here, this allows you to change your spell at the end of your hero phase to something else. And so I always go into a, a battle and... Um, you're trying to take your most generic spell in case you, or something that's going to buff your army or something like that. I'm taking one that I can use turn one on certain armies. And if I'm not faced against that army at the end of, of my first hero phase, I'm going to switch it to something that's useful for the army I'm facing. So it's, it's quite flexible. A lot of, a lot of um, ability to change once you're on the table uh, to, to fit what you're facing. And I, I think you'll see that a lot in some of this Seraphim stuff where you have flexibility in your buffs that you can hand out, which is fairly unique to Seraphim, I think. Maybe that's in a lot of other, other factions. I know I play some uh, Gloom Spike Gits, and that moon is terrible. You never know where it's going to be. Here, we just choose what we want. <laughs> so it's it's pretty useful. Um, there, there are very few armies in the game that can change their spell layout at the within the battle and i think that's key like you know gloomspike gets plays for example there's a, an arachnorok cauldron that allows you to pick from your spell law but to be able to switch out gives you so much flexibility because you could do some damage dealing stuff at the start then you could go some debuffs or some buffs um where most people would have to pick one or two or they would have to get multiple casters in order to get multiple spells on the table yeah and and in, in my mind, there's one spell, and we, we may not go through all the spells, but there's one spell that's a horde-killing spell called Stellar Tempest, and it 
It is a great spell. You roll a dice for every model in an enemy unit, and on a five up, it does a mortal. Great for killing hordes, and it has twenty four inch range. And so, from turn one, you're going to have a six inch buff on on probably your slon. That's going to be in range of just about any horde you want to do. So I always start with that one. If they don't have a horde, I'll switch over to something else. So incredibly useful. Yeah, the flexibility, and I think the the, the, the flexibility in this army is um, incredibly strong, and you're you are, you're able to project your power at really long range. Um, most people have multiple areas or you know s certain areas on the table they can project power whether it's for a combat monster you know a a more crusher a, a stone horn it could be you know what ko do right now which is you know putting everything in a boat dropping down and just shooting from the from you know relatively close range because you know they drop down outside of nine and just shoot mm -hmm. uh, as quick as possible but you have an ability to project a lot of power from very far away and this is probably where Things like skinks and things like your your other choices outside of your um, your Lord Croak bubble is going to be important to protect it. You know, it, it kind mm. of feels like when I played Hallow Heart, and I'm trying to protect my juicy center as much as possible. I've got my Hurricane, I've got my Wizards, I've got my Battalion. I've you know I'm, I'm projecting so much power, but the minute that someone breaks my line of Free Guild Guard, Phoenix Guard, whatever it might be. You, you'll kill you'll kill that juicy center it's so easy to kill because they don't have an armor save they don't want to be in combat and seraphon is probably the i guess the um the, the poster child for that like do not get close to me <laughs> yeah yeah if, if you're charging if you're charging croak you got to have a plan to take him out because if 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 i get a turn and you're within range of me on croak then you're you're probably going down so yeah. Talk about the other rules. You're going to get yourself this, the um, so at the start of your hero phase. You can pick one of the, yeah. the following astrums. Uh -huh. uh, so you got the the great Drake, or you've got yourself the the hunter steed, the hunter steed, or the sage staff. So, so this um, is yeah, this is that flexibility. So you've got three major buffs that you can give to your army, and you're gonna you kind of want to have a plan with these as you're building your list what am i going to do turn one which one of these do i want to activate uh the sage's staff is great for you, you know if you if you're building a croak centered army he gives him plus one to his casting and dispelling and unbinding um and so you can add that to croak to give him even further higher casting you know so this is where we've, we talk about 10xing here guys yeah. we've now started to to like times two croak already like literally, we haven't made any selections on our in our list yet, and we've just times two it with the sage staff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of our a lot of our wizards are already plus one. So uh, croak, slan, the troglodon, oddly enough, is plus one uh, to cast, and so this right here gives them just an easy access to plus two to cast, which you don't have to do anything. All you got to do is say, "I want that one," um, and, and, and and it's pick one. So it's not like you, uh, well, you can. You just pick one every turn, so it could be yeah. one caster, or if there's one that you really need a certain spell off, uh, or if you lose that that certain wizard. Yeah. If you've got another wizard, you could just go, "Cool, well, I want that one now to get the the plus one to cast, mm. or or plus one to unbind." Yeah. So a lot of times, what I'll do is I'm I'm going to choose the sage's staff turn one, or possibly hunter's steed. Hunter's steed gives you plus one to run and charge. Um, so if I'm trying to make sure I can alpha strike something, I'll choose Hunter Steed to make sure I can get that plus one to charge. You'll probably be dropping something outside of nine. And so I want to make that charge with a plus one. 
Or if I just want an extra run, some of my stuff gets run and run and charge or run and shoot. I'll pick that one. Um, so one of those is usually my first choice. And then as you're getting further in the game, as you're getting in combat, well, then you say I, I need extra combat damage. I'm switching over to the great Drake, adding that to some big monster that I've gotten combat and letting him, letting him go up to bat with that extra attacks. And because this is a battle trait, um, that extra attack applies to the mount, his weapons, you know, everything on the, the melee profile there. So it's, it's pretty nice. Yeah, that's brutal. And I think, again, it goes back to the flexibility. You can change your spells uh, during the rounds. You're able to then change around some of the benefits, whether it's going to be uh, the plus one to the run and charge rolls for Seraphon, where there's going to be plus one to your spell casting or dispelling, uh, which is really cool. And or you could then get yourself uh, an additional attack characteristic. That's that's bonkers. So again, you've just got so much flexibility in this army, and it kind of goes back to the complexity I was saying earlier. It's just choosing the right things at the right time, and really being mindful of the different rules and where they interact. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I imagine something like AOS reminders would be very important right now. <laughs> yeah. Like the amount of rules that you would probably generate from um, from AOS reminders just to keep, kind of keep yourself in check, but. Mm -hmm. We just skipped over, like if anyone wondered what I skipped over, we skipped over the coalesced side. So we just had some additional rules that come with coalesced, but instead we do have some additional rules when it comes to the Starborn. So you've got the unfeeling. So the Starborn has bravery of 10 instead of what's on their war scroll. How impactful is that? It's it's pretty big, especially something like your salamanders, which have pretty low bravery and they'll and coalesce, they're still great. Don't don't let me tell you they're not good in coalesce but they will run a lot faster. Skinks and Coalesce are five bravery. So, you, you know, those little MSU units of Skinks and Coalesce are gonna, they're gonna disappear quick. But here in Starborn, we do have that 10 bravery. You get, you actually get your bonus for your hordes in bravery in Starborn. And so that's kind of nice. Those big hordes of Skinks um, are gonna have great bravery. So it, 10 is, is awesome. That's, that's great bravery for this. Yeah, it's really good, especially for some protection or either from Battle Shock or uh, I don't know how Daughters of Cain are going to be impacted by the new battle tone, but things like Mind Razor, which, you know, works off bravery characteristics, mm -hmm. um, very impactful to kind of protect yourself. So, and hey, yeah. it just means you're not spending your CP uh, as often. Yeah, yeah. The other big piece you're going to get here is uh, this massive, massive long block of text, Caleb. Maybe <laughs> you can, instead of me reading this out, uh, maybe you can tell me about the celestial uh, congregation. So yeah, so this is your summoning here, and they've th there is a wall of words here. Basically, if you're general as a slan or a starseer, you get D three summoning. Um, before you cast a spell with a slan or an oracle, which is the troglodon, you can spend one of those spells to get another D three. You get D three from your source astralith bearer. So it sounds like a lot of ways to get some D3 summoning points. To be honest, it's not nearly as impactful as it was in the previous battle tome. If, if you had ever played Seraphon in the last battle tome, and I played this way, you, you would plan for summoning. I'm going to get this in this turn, this in this turn. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull in an engine of the god every turn <laughs> back in the old book. You could, you could do some goofy stuff like that. Here in Starborn, every game I've played, it's almost just kind of an extra little bonus, you know, turn two or three, you might summon in some skinks. That's kind of all that you're going to end up doing with the summoning here in Starborn. It, you can plan for it, but I don't think it's, it's, it's worth its weight to actually put those units into 
and use your spells into that summoning chart. So it, it, you're going to end up summoning some stuff, but I don't think it's worth like banking your strategy on your summoning pool in Seraphim anymore. Is it worth sacrificing your spell casting in order to get yourself additional points? Um, and obviously battle plans and, yeah. and opponents and obviously all these things are going to come in play, but you mentioned that the, the summoning mechanic isn't as important in the new book than it was in the old book. Yeah. But is, is this something that people should, if they find themselves not spending, um, oh, no, you've got to choose. You can't, you can't say, oh, I've got one spell left. I'm going to sacrifice it. You've got to yeah. declare it at the start. So well, you've got to very, you'll be very specific on, I'm only going to cast one spell or two spells. So uh, I will sacrifice. So if I if I'm running Croak, I'm probably not spending any of these any of his spells on summoning. If I'm running a Slon, or maybe you know there are some lists where you run a Croak and a Slon just to give you some extra extra spells in case you need them. But um, a Slon usually doesn't have as as many spells as as uh, useful as Croak, and so you'll end up spending his on some summoning. But I, I'm never going to make my Croak the general. So he's never going to get those D3 from being the general on the on the board. So uh, a lot of times I'll end up with D3 from my Astroleth Bear, and that's all my summoning I get. And so it'll take me, you know, two or three turns before I actually summon anything in. Why, why would Croak not be a general? Because um, I, well, because he's a named hero. So Croak is a named hero, so he can't take command traits, he can't take artifacts. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to use those. Um, that commodity on something else that I can find a little bit more use for. So that's probably the key reason. It's not like you you lose anything else other than you just generic, can't hold an artifact, can't take one of the command traits from uh, Dracothian's Tail or um, Fangs of Sotek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, an, it's an interesting consideration because I imagine most people would might think about taking Croak um, as their general, but that's the trade-off if you do. And, and if you do take a Salon, like... A Slon can actually be quite powerful. Now he's not going to put out as much damage, but he can he can actually dominate the magic phase and especially blocking other people's casting better than Croak because you can get up to two rerolls for him in his unbinds and his casts. And so he can, if you if you build it right, that Slon can actually be pretty powerful in the magic phase. Won't do near as much damage as Croak, but he can he can really kind of kind of dominate that phase, especially when the other team's trying to get their their spells off. So you can build it that way, but Croak is just so he, he's he's priced perfect. He's made it through two FAQs, uh, <laughs> so I, I would I would definitely fit Croak into your list. <laughs> I've been here since AOS the start, and ever since day one, Croak has just been a nightmare. We had the the uh, Croak NATO where yeah. the old Balwin Vortex used to double the spell range. It didn't used to just add plus six; it would double. So you just teleport Croak in the center of the board uh, on a Balwin Vortex, and then you just have these like aura of damage of thirty six inches. <laughs> annihilating yeah. everything and like well he took damage and then he could come back to life it was just like <laughs> yeah 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 kill yeah. me now uh the other rule speaking of uh of of um slides are you do have the lords of space and time which at the end of the movement phase you can pick one friendly starborn unit that is uh and uh, sorry, on the battlefield and transport it through space and time uh if you do so you remove it from the battlefield and put it more than nine inches away from the enemy so um i can do that through combat as well can't i because 
Like mm-hmm. if something's in combat, I can just pick it up and move it around the board. Or yeah. if there's something in my backfield or I summon something, I could then put it around the yeah. board. Talk, talk to me talk to me about this particular rule. So this, I mean, this rule right here is, is one, I think, the most impactful for Starborn. This is, I mean, I, I built entire lists on the previous book around their teleports. And this is the only teleport that we that we have access to in these in the sub factions for for Seraphim now. And this one you need to have a plan for. So at least turn one, think of what you want to teleport because it's such a strong ability just being able to pick up something at the end of your movement and teleport it. So that's you're still going to have time to shoot wherever it's coming from. You'll have time to have buffed it up so you can buff something up and send it in. That's why I mean, Lords of Space and Time is, is uh, to me, it's almost your salamander delivery system. This thing right here is, is where, this is where you're going to put your salamanders with your Lords of Space and Time. Um, but it, it can be used for anything. That's the wonderful thing is that you can buff up a horde of skinks and send them in to shoot. You can buff up, you know, something you need on an objective or you don't even have to buff that up. If, you just, if you're looking to score objectives late game, I mean, this will, this will win you games right here. Teleporting yeah. something over the enemy. There's a lot of things to break this down. It could be a start of the game, you know, bring bodies up much further up the board than they would normally be able to move or run. Uh, this could be a late game piece. You know, you might you might have one or two skinks. Let's say you had a unit of 10 skinks and they got whittled down to two. Those two could still be a threat simply by using Lords and Space and Time, teleporting mm. them onto an objective that has been opened up or you can't zone off properly because, you know, like denying two two little 30, uh, 25 mil bases can be quite difficult yeah um you could use it to threaten you know uh you know there's so much you can do with this or as you said the salamander delivery system <laughs> and uh, i have a hatred for salamanders uh, not the real animals they're, they're wonderful little lizards uh i do have a bane for sally so uh we'll talk more about why the salamanders are the jerks of age of sigma but the teleporting is, is is great it's guaranteed so you don't have to you don't have to cast a spell um you also don't have to it's not it's not dependent on the general so you know if i did take down croak if i did take down the astralith bearer it's not like i lose that ability it's it's going to be always available mm-hmm. and it does happen at end of movement which is the same time that your summoning shows up on the board and so you can late game you know you've finally gotten enough summoning points to bring in 10 20 skinks bring them in then teleport them and then and it can really it can really help you out yeah, that's neat. Uh, the last thing that we'll we will talk we will break a little bit further in a moment, but I want to talk to you about the uh, the terrain piece. Uh, you do get one of the two constellations. So if you are a starborn army, which we are, you can either choose to be Dracovian's tail or Fangs of Sotek. So uh, by taking one of those two, you'll get additional rules. You get the command traits, the artifacts, the things that we're just talking about, and why we wouldn't take the Slan as the general, uh, just because we're giving up a, a bunch of things. Yeah. But we won't talk about that too much yet because we will actually break down. So Caleb's actually provided us two lists, one for each. So we'll break it, we'll break down the rules and we'll talk about the rules in relation to the list. But maybe just quickly on summoning before I ask you about mm-hmm. the terrain piece, is if I've got a bunch of summoning po- points, is there any particular units that you like to summon more than others? Are there situations where you think about bringing on certain things? Um, you know, is it worthwhile striving to go for a free engine of the gods or, you know, a, 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 a Soros old blood on Carnosaur, or are you more of a, 
you know, getting get just get ten skinks on the table or like what what's your thoughts here? Um, I think I think you definitely want something that either either you're going for two one of two things bodies or something that can actually provide you a benefit in the shooting phase because this will happen at the end of movement. So you still have the shooting phase. You still have charges, obviously, too. Uh, but it's got to be outside of nine. So you want something that can shoot. So, uh, I mean, salamanders, razor dons are always always good summoning piece. Generally, I'm going for bodies. That's that's usually what I'm looking for as the game progresses. If I can replenish the bodies that I've lost on the board so far, uh, that's that's to me that holds incredible value. Um, but something that it can shoot, you know, if, if you had, if you did build up to something bigger, um, I, I probably wouldn't choose an engine of the gods, but probably the the Stegadon on Skink Chief. If you could somehow get to thirty points, um, I, I have a soft spot in my heart for Stegadon. So if I ever had the opportunity, I'm bringing one of those in. <laughs> <laughs> but bodies for sure. I know when I talk to other opponents that have a similar mechanic, uh, like a summoning mechanic, you know, Nurgle is a, is a perfect example. I think Corn is another one. There's a few armies that do this type of thing. Um, I know usually bringing in more units early, bringing in those 10 skinks, bringing in uh, those uh, five chameleon skinks, bringing in more bodies quicker allows you to score objectives, allows you to screen, allows you to challenge as opposed to late game trying to save up all your points and unlikely bringing in an engine of gods. Or if you do bring in an engine of gods, for example, it hasn't got enough time to make a real impact. So um, unless you have some crazy way to get, you know, a lot of points quick, I, I find bringing on more, cheaper bodies and mm-hmm. bringing them on early will will serve you far better absolutely absolutely cool no just just for anyone who might be like oh free engine of the gods or free <laughs> Stiladon, just how much reward and how much time is it going to take to get that bassy down yeah um oh my gosh Bastilodons. there's another <laughs> there's another fun unit to talk about but before we talk about your first list I wanted to get your initial thoughts on your terrain piece. So uh, as an allegiance, you guys get the Realm Shaper engine. Uh, it does have some interesting mechanics. The first one is that it's to, it's put down on the table before sides are determined. So, um, so it means that you've got to put down this terrain piece before you know where you're going to be deploying. So I guess the question I've got from you is when you look at your terrain piece, is it an important factor to your army? I know as a Loon Shrine player for the Gits, I, you know, I've got a strategy on my terrain piece. So how do you factor it in? Are you thinking it offensively, defensively? Do you put it in the center of the board to kind of be a neutral piece? Um, like, what are your thoughts on on your terrain piece? Um, to be honest, I don't even bring it anymore. Um, really? It's, it's, it's too random i don't want to give my opponent something he can put up to 20 wounds in at a free garrison and so if i put it right in the middle of where i would want it and my opponent gets that side it's a 50 50 shot i'm gonna get it or he's gonna get it then i've just given him an incredible bunker to sit into because my enemy can garrison in this as well as i can they won't get the 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 power unleashed which which kind of does it's basically a shooting attack out of this thing um, that does some mortals. He he won't get that, but he'll get the garrison. So, and in my in my experience, I just don't bring it. Um, I've got mine painted up. I love it. It looks awesome. I've got like a LED lights in it and everything. I don't bring it. Um, if I were, if if you have this, you paid for it, you want to play with it, I would probably end up putting it in the middle, but off to one of the sides. And so, I, what I'm looking to do is maybe teleport some. 
um, salamanders into it so that they are tougher to, to remove or put in mm. some uh, chameleon skinks so that they get their plus pluses to their saves. Because when they're in cover, they have a three-up save instead of a six-up. So that, that benefits them. So I would probably play it to one of the flanks to where my opponent can't use it, or they could if they wanted to, but it's not going to be as, as, as useful, but to where I can still put things in it pretty easily turn one or two that can that can help my army but i'm probably not going to deploy it in the middle i don't want him rushing something giant up into it and then squatting that thing the rest of the game <laughs> so it's a gamble yeah no i i agree that was kind of where i was kind of thinking because you don't want to put it too aggressively and thinking that you will get it and you don't get it um, or you put it down with a plan and you don't win the drop and then you lose it and then you've got to rethink very quickly, what is my game plan? What am I going to do? And your opponent, as you said, uh, because it's a garrison that is so little risk, um, you've given them something for free. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It, it's nice. I like, you know, I've, I've put a Bastildon down into it before and that's a lot of fun. So you kind of, you basically have a little pillbox as a Bastildon at, you know, minus one to hit. He's already a one-up save, which is a lot of fun. Um, so it is, it's useful, but it's a gamble whether it's coming to your side or not. I think, the, I think the key that I wanted to bring out of you, Caleb, was that have a plan. Have a plan that if I put this down, uh, where where is best for me or what is going to cause me the least grief if I don't claim it? Mm-hmm. Uh, if I did claim it, what do I want to do? Because if you go too aggressively with your strategy and you don't get it, one, you've lost it. Two, your opponent can use it against you. Or even three, remembering um, certain armies who can use it better than you are. So maybe KO, for example, if KO's got it. Mm-hmm. Um, or Cities of Sigma, they will have an absolute field day with that piece. One, one thing I have seen some people do, which is just a little bit of strategy, but if you put that Dome Shaper engine in the back corner, hopefully it lands on your side. If it doesn't, then they're, it's probably not going to be too useful. might be useful to KO. They like lining up in the corners. Um, but if it's in your corner... Um, let's say you have a troglodon in the middle of the table. You can put your croak in that um, realm shaper engine in the corner, and he's able to funnel all his spells through the troglodon. So there is some ways to make it useful, but you still got a 50 50 shot of whether you're going to even be able to pull off that plan or not. So, yeah, that, that's just something to consider. Uh, I, I highly recommend people bring it, but just have a plan. And I think, you know, don't, don't be too aggressive uh, because, again, 50 50 chance, and there's nothing yeah. you can do to influence. Uh, other than purely trying to like psychologically, okay, Caleb, are you sure you want to take it? <laughs> are you sure? I like trying to like mind, mind, yeah. best you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's talk Fangs of Sotek, which is your first list. So um, we've got a Fangs of Sotek list and then we've got a Dracothian's Tail list. Uh, and some people in preparation for this show had asked me um, your thoughts on why they weren't. Um, uh messed around with but hey we won't go there yet (laughs) some people are trolling you but (laughs) as fangs of sotek you are going to get some cool rules um and we will talk about the rules and where this kind of comes about and i'd love to just know from you how important are all of these these things are they all important to your list building is there certain parts that are important to your list building uh for example you get the first of the battle so you're going to get uh in the first battle round plus three movement for your fangs of sotek skinks 
so skinks are, are going to get it. Uh, you've got your partial shot, which at the start, you can use a command ability at the end of the enemy charge phase. If you do so, pick one friendly Fangs of Sotex skinks uh, units uh, from the skink war scroll or friendly Fangs of Sotex chameleon skinks that are wholly within 18 of a friendly hero uh, that skink or chameleon skinks can shoot. So basically it's like an overwatch. It's a, you know, a deterrent when someone charges you. Uh, and after you do so, roll a dice on a four plus, uh, that unit can make a normal move, okay? And then you've got some other things like uh, old and Grizzled Command Trait, and you got yourself an artifact, the Serpent God Dagger. So are they all useful? Are some of these attacks? And how do these all influence your list building? Uh, yeah, they're they're all quite useful. So I, I, this is one of those sub-factions where just about everything they give you is going to be useful for the army. Maybe not the, the artifact. We'll get to that in a second. But all the other stuff is wonderful. So that first to battle. So you're adding three-inch moves to all uh, the skink units. And that's basically half the army has the keyword skink. And so you're, you're adding a lot of movement um, to things that are – they're not real fast on their own. They're eight inches, which is good. Um, but that extra three inches of movement is going to get them to where they need to be. Um, you, you've got a lot, of, a, lot, a lot of things that can shoot that are keyword of skink, but you've also got stuff like the, the cavalry units, like the, the pterodons, that are already, I mean, they're already screaming up the board. And now you're at an extra three inches. Like, you don't need any tricks to get these guys in turn one. They're going to be moving 19 inches turn one. Um, and then you've still got the charge. And so... This this faction is can be incredibly fast. It's a it's definitely an alpha strike faction. You're going to want to hit hard turn one, and this three inches of movement really helps that out. So it's 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 great. You're not going to see a lot of source stuff in this list. Um, you can fit it in, but really everything is going to be skink keyworded in this faction. Yeah, I mean, it's obvious why you'd want to double down on skinks. I think mm-hmm. uh, the coalesced is really benefiting you to go down the Saurus path, but your skinks really kind of become, I wouldn't say super strong, but they become much better than what they are through Fangs of Sotek. So you get your plus three movement, going to be great to score objectives early, uh, more guarantee on the charge. It's going to uh, help you deny if you've got an opponent who um, is going to likely like try to turn one charge you, you're able to get, again kind of create some some more interesting screens and waves uh there's a lot you can do with three inches um movement mm-hmm. i had to, I had to make sure i i said movement after that because if i just said you can there's a lot you can do with three inches I'm sure <laughs> someone, would, someone would have got me somewhere yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's much bigger than three guys just much bigger um, so, you, so, so that that's good for you. And um, what about things like partial shot? Do you find the uh, the ability to to shoot um, when someone charges you uh, a useful tool? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So they did FAQ this a little bit um, to where it now happens when they end a charge within three. Um, basically, what you would have expected it to be written as they wrote it in a way that you could really abuse it uh, to where you could just sh- have a free shot regardless of what happened. Now they do have to charge you um, and it only affects uh, actual skinks and chameleon skinks. So those two war scrolls are the ones that can that basically have the overwatch shoot. They get to shoot after they charge. And this is awesome because uh, you're, you're, you're running these skinks up the board. You're getting close to them. You're shooting. 
And now to get to you, they've got to get shot again. And so it's it's one of these things that that without this rule, Fangs of Sotek would probably be okay. It would still be very good. This is one of those rules that really feels oppressive to your to your enemy because they can't do anything. So you shot them with you know two hundred dice on your turn, and now they charge into your skinks, and they're going to have to get shot again. Um, as a Seraphim player, it's a fantastic ability. I love it, but it is one of those things that kind of gives that feel bad to the opponent uh, since they're gonna they're gonna lose some models just on the charge coming into you. Um, I, I play with free guild handgunners and they shoot on the charge as well. If you end within three inches, I'm going to shoot you in the face. But I think the part that's different between us is that four plus. So uh, on a four plus, that unit, I assume that unit is your unit, uh, not the opponent, can make a normal move. But uh, if it does, it must be a retreat but can't run. So basically I charge the skinks, you shoot me, uh, you then get a free movement uh, away from the enemy. What's the movement of a skink? Eight, eight. eight. But if you're in turn one, you add three to that. So sure, sure. Uh, I mean, there's not a lot of armies that can turn one charge. Let's yeah. assume it's like turn two. Yeah. Um, so what you've basically done, so even if your opponent was three inches out before they declared the charge, you've got a base move of eight plus three because that was the distance between you know before combat. So really, you're you're now going for an eleven inch charge, and that was if you're within three inches. Um, if you were going for a long bomb charge. Um, you now can't charge you on that four plus. Yeah. So yeah, when they when they charge you, uh, they've actually FAQ'd this down to on a four up. You have to make a move. It used to say you can make a move, which I liked. They've changed that to you have to make a move. So you do have to move out. So for the Seraphim players, make sure that your little small heroes that are buffing this thing aren't right up next to that unit because I've have done this before. You move those units off, and now your heroes are left right out up in front of where those guys can pile in and attack. So, kind of keep that in mind when you're when you're when you're putting your units on the board. But this is great, and especially um, for those times that you need to stay on an objective. Like I, I've shot them, I've removed a couple models. Now I'm backing off. I'm going to hold this objective, and there's not really anything you can do about it. Um, and the the great thing about this is is it's wholly within 18 of any fangs of sotek hero so it's not a general it's not keyworded to anybody else so just any hero you're going to have lots of little heroes in fangs of sotek and an 18 inch bubble while it is wholly within is pretty generous and so you can you can usually fit quite a few different things in that 18 inch bubble of any of your heroes to get this overwatch charge it does cost a command point and so you do need to make sure you save up for this so every time i'm spending command points i'm making sure that in their turn, I'm going to have enough that I can at least spend two of these parting shots uh, with command points to fire off my my skinks or chameleon skinks. As the devil's advocate here, as the person who wants to crush your soul, drink your tears, and uh, annihilate you space lizards, I guess what I'm thinking about with this particular rule is if I'm going to charge a unit of skinks, I don't want to have the skinks as my only charge option. So should they use this parting shot, I want to have the ability to at least, if I can't charge the skinks because they've made it too hard for me, I can charge into a hero. I can charge into another unit. So thinking about positioning, thinking about where I could get an additional option, because the last thing I want to do is set up a charge and essentially fail it because you've made, now made it an 11 or greater um, charge with a, with a command point and you've, you've shot me. So my unit is a little bit weaker than 
what yeah. it was. So uh, charging that hero, charging another unit of skinks, or charging a, a unit of salamanders. You know, try to try to keep that in mind. Yep. 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 Yeah. And. You, you do have your pile in after you charge. Once you make the charge, you do get to pile in. So when you're backing these guys up, make sure, you know, ask your opponent, what's their range? You know, what's what's your melee range and back up that plus three so that you're out of outside their melee range. But uh, yeah, a very, very useful ability in things of Sotek. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a challenge that one uh you've got the other two pieces which is your olden grizzly and your serpent mm. god dagger um so what, this yeah, yeah this command trait is is I, I like it but i also opt out of it it is for a saurus general and so if you don't take a saurus general in fangs of sotek um you can use a generic command trait from the seraphim command traits and so that's really nice because there's some excellent skink command traits but this one's actually pretty good too. You know, you'll generally have an Astrolith bear in your Fangs of Sotek army, which is Saurus. So you can keyword him as a general. And then on a three up, you'll receive an extra command point. Um, that's that's great. You already have some abilities to get extra command points, but you're gonna you're gonna eat through command points in this army like crazy. And so this is a good ability to put on that Saurus guy. Uh, if you want some extra command points and the flexibility of, of all the different buffs that you can use with those command points. So, so a good call out there is that if your general is a Saurus general, you've got to take the old and grizzled. Uh, but if you're not taking a Saurus general, then uh, you don't have to take this because it's not going to be eligible. You just choose something from the skink traits. So um, good call out. And then finally, we've got the serpent dagger, which you uh, pick one of the, the Barrow's melee weapons at the uh, at the end of any phase. If any wounds inflicted by that weapon uh, were allocated to the enemy model and not negated, uh, on a five plus, the enemy is slain. <laughs> it, it it reads like an amazing, amazing ability. Unfortunately, it's it's going on a Fangs of Sotek hero, which generally your your heroes in Fangs of Sotek do not want to be in combat. And I I constantly end up with this on a little tiny skink priest. That's just because it's got to go on my hero on a, my first hero with an artifact, and it ends up on this. You can put it on something. Like you could you could fit a Carnosaur in there that has a decent weapon. You could I was going to ask you that. I was going to ask you would that incentivize you taking like an old blood on a Carnosaur and then you know doubling down on that Saurus uh, old and grizzled ability or? Yeah, absolutely. And and now you have an ability to teleport stuff, um, so you can in, in this army. So you can create like a little assassin Saurus that will go in teleport. You've got your plus one to charge from the constellation from the Astrums. And now you're going to try to get this guy in and basically stuff somebody in that serpent god dagger. This is, you know, like Archeon Slayer of Kings, basically. You're, this is an amazing ability. It's just, it's a little tricky to use in Fangs unless you're really just, I'm, I've got a beat stick hero I want to put this on. I don't care if he doesn't have synergies with the rest of my army. This is what I'm, you know, I, the Stegodons might be my best option in this because they still have the skink keyword and they have some synergies with the rest of it. But uh, yeah, you could you could you could play some tricky stuff with it. This this feels like a defensive mechanism, not an offensive. I don't build a, a list to take advantage of this gold dagger. But yeah. if some someone some idiot wants to charge my little skink priest and <laughs> wants to have a crack with their I don't know their terror geist or their their more crusher, uh, and use a little stabby stabby, uh, <laughs> you're like, oh, sorry, Gordrak, Fist of Gork, you are no longer in the game because you failed one wound. 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, you still have to wound him with this little little skink priest if that's what you got him on. So that can be difficult. But sure. It, but like, imagine, it would, like, be, like, it would be amazing if it happened. Like, I would spend all the command points in the world to like reroll hits. <laughs> I would just try to yeah. find every stacking possibility yeah. to to get that chance of like one shotting a uh, a terror geist or a. Uh, and like if they're Grizzle Gore double pilot, yeah. cool, kill the skin priest. Good on you. Yeah. You're like the king of the internet. <laughs> um, cool. I mean, they, they're all they're all useful. That none of them are real taxes. Um, but I think yeah. the good call out as well is that uh, you don't have to take the Saurus General. Um, it just means you just choose something different from the skink traits. Let's talk the list. Let's talk what you've got. But more importantly, I want to understand why. Why Why have you chosen what you've chosen? So for the people who are playing at home on the podcast, the list is, this is the Fangs of Sotek list. Um, the Trakothian's Tale will come after this. With the Fangs of Sotek, by the way, uh, people have said, Caleb, this is an ASMR stream between the two accents that we have, <laughs> the, the Texas accent and the Australian accent. Um, nice, nice. <laughs> Nerdy <laughs> ASMR stream. Yeah. But what you've got is you've got Lord Croak with the spell uh, Stellar Tempest, but we do know that we can change Lord Croak's spells every turn. We have a Soros Astrolith Bearer. You have a Skink Priest who is the general with the Master of Star Rituals. We also have a Skink Priest. We also have a Skink Star Priest that has the Serpent uh, God Dagger. And it has the, the spell Hand of Glory. You've also got a Skink Star Priest, also with the Hand of Glory. You've taken 40 Skinks with the bone, the Bolt Splitters, 30 Skinks with the Bolt Splitters. You've got five Saurus Guard, 15 Chameleon Skinks, three Salamander Hunting Packs, and a Bailwind Vortex. Uh, probably the other call-out as well here, folks, is that Seraphon does have access to something called Bound Endless Spells. So that's a little bit different. You haven't paid for a Bound Endless spell here, and we can talk a little bit about why uh, when we get to it, but you can pay a little bit extra uh, to get some different benefits by by taking Endless Spells in Seraphon. Um, how, how you only pay an extra 10 points for some of your, some of your, your Bound <laughs> Endless Spells is beyond me. Yeah. Uh, Geminids that don't come back to me, really, for 10 points, I will take that every day in every list. I will... I will find 10 points so Geminids don't come back at my face. Yeah, yeah. They, bound Endless Spells are incredibly powerful, uh, especially for 10 points. I I constantly want three of them because you can take up to three in every list. Somehow they always end up getting squeezed out of my lists. I don't know why. They are awesome. It, you can build some amazing lists around the Bound Endless Spells. They are They are incredible. And it might be worth noting as well, folks, that um, if you were picking up, uh, if you were going to try to pick up a, um, uh, was it a Bailwind Vortex at the moment, they have been out of stock for about tw over 12 months, I think close to two years now. So I don't know if they're going to be relaunched at some point or if you're going to have to like sell your first son to get one on eBay or go to a 3D printer, but uh, they are not, you can't go to your local game store and find them. Uh, you'll have to find like, some type of proxy. We, we have the, the North American headquarters here in Dallas area. Uh, te Dallas, Texas is where we're at. And they posted up a picture on their Facebook and they had, like, it was like, you know, 18 Bellwind Vortexes come in just randomly. And it was, it was, you know, you're talking, people were fighting over them, I think, to get those Bellwind Vortexes. I'm sure they're all gone now, but uh, it was, it was a madhouse. <laughs> 
but uh, yeah, but I guess, but I guess the point was, um, if you like super inspired and go to your games workshop, you're not going to find this is not on the web no. store. They've been out for a long time. So maybe find a 3d printer, go sell your first son on eBay, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, whatever it might be, but talk to me about, we talked Lord Croak, right? We've already talked about Lord Croak and how powerful Lord Croak is, you know, just a supreme spellcaster. He just has a, ma- a sheer amount of magical supremacy, but also magic defense and just projects so much power from so far away why so, else do you have the croak the croak master so croak is is definitely an interesting character here he he is going to cause a lot of pain and a lot of lists unfortunately and it, it's he's got uh, a spell that he can triple tap on he can cast it three times and it's an area of effect spell you pick d3 units within 10 inches and on a two up they take d3 mortals there's lots of rolls to get through you have to cast it they have to be in range you have to roll a two up then you do d3 mortals to them so there's lots of rolls to get through um but it can do a lot of damage and your cast, it gets harder to cast. It casts on a seven, and then it casts on an eight the second time, and then on a nine the third time, which makes it really hard to cast. But in most of these lists, you're going to be at plus three to cast. Croak is naturally plus one. Um, the the Astralith Bear, the source Astralith Bear, gives a bubble of plus one to cast. So you'll get another plus one there, so you're plus two. And then most of the time, you're going to take a plus one to cast from those Astrums, especially when you have Croak. So... You're giving that's him that, that's that stuff of sage, right? Or sage stuff. Yeah. Yes. Yes. The, what used to be the constellations for the salon, they, they adjust the constellations. And so you'll, uh, most of the time, if you're running croak in kind of this build, you'll pick that, especially turn one to get this going. Um, so it is short range. Um, but what you do, the sort of bear gives you an extra six inches on that. And then the bail one vortex gives you an extra six inches. So now you're talking 22 inches. Who cares? That's not hitting me turn one. Uh, but you're li- lining Croak up on the line most games, and you're casting Bailwin Vortex out in front of you. And so now you've gained an extra, it's like five or six inches or something, because you can cast it one inch away from him. The Bailwin Vortex is so big. And then you get up on that. Now you can hit the enemy deployment turn one, pr- at least probably two or three units that they've lined up right there on the line. Um, you can hit those, and sometimes you can even stretch a little bit deeper into it. And you're you're just gonna pulse those mortals onto it, and it's hard to stop because he's casting at plus three. Um, he he generally, in my experience, he'll you know he'll fail one of those every once in a while, but he'll get most of them through. Um, it is D three units, so a lot of times you'll roll one or two units, so it's not real reliable. Um, but throughout the course of the game, you're gonna do a lot of mortals with this guy. He also has he has another spell that is a board wide mortal, and, and you pick either D three or D six depending on how how well you cast, and those ones you just do D three mortals too. So, um, on paper, you know if you're hitting D six units for D three mortals, and then you're rolling nine more units for D three mortals, it, if all goes well, it's it's a horrible experience. Um, for the other opponents. So. so let me let me let me just pause you there for a second because um, there's a couple of things I want to call out. One is that uh, what's really good about this as well is that because you if because the meta right now has so many chaos demons as well, 
you get a flat three damage as opposed to the D3. So really good for the meta. Um, someone like, you know, the Lord of Change, especially with your change host right now, you know, really strong counter to, to the Lord of Change. But as the opponent, I want to talk about, you know, Caleb's, uh, Caleb's my opponent. You know, we're looking at each other. The real challenge with this, guys, and the reason why you want to take this, you want to kind of disarm Lord Croak as quick as possible, is that he has the ability in the matter of one turn to take down any of your five wound heroes. Most of our armies are filled with five, five wound, six wound, four wound heroes that play a support role in some capacity, whether it's a buff, whether it's a spell. You know, we don't fill our armies with too many 10 wound heroes. We might have one or two, but most people have some type of branch witch, uh, a fungoid cave shaman, uh, you know, a little battle mage. We all have these little ones. And in a matter of seconds, especially through Celestial Deliverance, you can pop all my wizards. You can pop all my little heroes. So there's a couple of things that I consider. One, I'm probably not going to... And, and, and um, uh, Abyssal Demon, a uh, Dragon Slayer, said this really well in the chat. You know, while the magic is quite good for Seraphon, it's actually also the ability to deny your opponent's spell casting. And I think it's the magical defense that Seraphon brings to the table that makes me ask a different question. How do I take down Lord Croak? when I probably can't deal, deal out mortal wounds from afar because he's unlikely to um, uh, he unbind me. And this is where KO becomes such a natural predator to, um, to, to Seraphon that they don't rely on magic. They can drop from the sky and then they can just shoot off Croak in a matter of seconds. I don't know if you've had that experience yet, Caleb, but I imagine uh, this is certainly one of your big natural predators uh, on the table. So I think the the best way to deal with Croak is you either have to alpha strike, you have to get to him quick and start maybe not attack him right off the bat, but start attacking his support pieces. The source Astrolith Bearer uh, only has six wounds, four up save. He can go down pretty quick. Um, so and the if, reason we take the reason we take him down is because he extends the spell casting by six. Yeah. It, it doesn't sound like that much, but going from a 22-inch bubble to a 16 is reduces quite a bit of the board range for him. And uh, it also removes a plus one to his cast uh, for Croak, so he's he's not going to hit as many spells. And um, he does have a six-up ward save in a bubble that he provides, the Astral Bear, which isn't too useful on Croak because Croak has a four-up um, ward save, but does help with some of the other pieces there. So... I would alpha strike him if I can. I get into him close. A lot of a lot of times I'm putting Croak right up on the line because I want to project that power as much as I can. Um, if you can alpha strike him, and and I know that you're going to alpha strike him, I'm going to end up positioning him backwards, which means he's not going to be as effective at dealing out damage. So even just the threat of I'm going to get into Croak turn one will make me deploy differently and bring him back further to where he's not going to affect your your army turn one. Um, and, I, and I think that's a really key point as well, is that he does have a natural four-plus wound or mortal wound damage prevention. So he's got a natural four-plus armor save, and then any wound that gets allocated on a four-up, you're going to ignore that. So you might set up an alpha strike. You might set up in range, whether you you know you KO, your Cities of Sigma, you, 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 know, you catapults from, um, from OBR, some type of range threat that can take him down because he's going to sit at the back of the borders as much as possible. Uh, I actually might even bring up the photo and kind of show some of the deployment stuff. But um, 
but you, you know, once you've shot him down, he's still got a four up armor save. He has seven wounds. So, um, you know, 50% of those saves actually might come into play statistically, which and, means that you need to do a lot of damage from far away. And, and, and um, he's even harder to kill than that because just about every list that you take him in is going to include guard. Is going to include five guard. It gives him some ablative wounds that you can pass off to these guard. Uh, yeah, it, it goes off before his ward save. So you have his normal four up save, and then on a two up, you're going to pass off to these guard. And that's what they're there for. They're just an extra 10 wounds onto this hero that you have to get through before you can get to croak. So that goes to my point. My point was going to be is that you might be better off taking down the astrolith bearer, your guard, the support pieces first to yeah. reduce the effects of croak because you're going to go through so much effort to take down croak that you might have been better off taking down those other support pieces because croak's not going to win an objective-based game no. but it can deny you or, and, and really mess you up so by taking out those support pieces you really limit what it can do um i've just brought up a picture by the way of your fangs of sotek deployment that actually might show an example of how you're thinking about some of these auras and protections. I know you said it to me, so maybe you want to explain this um, and, and why you set this particular photo. Yeah, you can see here, I'm not worried about a alpha strike here. And so I'm putting Croak on the line. I'm casting Bailwind Vortex in front of him. And when I do that, I'm able to hit the, um, the, the Screaming Bell there with Mortal Wounds, as well as probably both of those units of uh, Plague Monks that are there in the middle. And so I'm also able to hit with range that horde killing spell. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really reduce one of those hordes down pretty far. And so setting him up on the line, while risky, if, if, uh, if you watched uh, Seasons of War last video, they, they, he got his croak killed turn one by eels. So it can be risky, um, but setting him up there really gives that power projection to the rest of the board um, once he gets up on that Bailwind and with the Astral's Bear. Um, so... It's, yeah, I, I like them. You can always put them behind a screen of some skin if you want to, because you have to put the, the Bailwind within an inch. Technically, you can put it over the top of the skinks. Since they're 25 mil, they are millimeters under an inch. So you can put it up on the other side of the skinks if you want to. And I imagine those salamanders at the back is because of uh, Lords of Space and Time, and you can uh, use your salamander deliverance package uh, to yeah. use to, to bring them up and burninate whatever you want to burninate. Yeah. So in the list we have we have a couple of different um, of of power pairs here as 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 we call them, and one is Croak, Astral Bear, and Guard and Bailwind. That's that's that six hundred point hero that's going to do a bunch of mortals. Now we've got our Skink Priests and our Skink uh, Star Priests. Those two little guys are going to go with each unit of Skinks and. They they are what give the juice to the skinks because the skinks without those guys are pathetic. They will do I think they'll do like four damage. Um, Forty skinks will do like four damage without those two little guys, and so th they won't do anything. But once you start adding these buffs, the the skink priest gives them plus one to their hits. The skinks are normally hitting on fives and fives. Now they're hitting on fours and fives. They also give this little seventy point skink uh, priest here. Gives them plus one to their save, which is amazing. This is on a prayer, on a three-up prayer. He also gives them run and shoot and charge, which is amazing. So this one prayer, it's on a three-up. There's no way to buff it. It's just a roll three-up. You get plus one to your save, plus one to or, uh, run and shoot and charge all together. 
and amazing for 70 points there what you can what you can pass out to these skinks this makes them a lot a lot more flexible gives them incredible range and takes them from a five up with shields down to a four up so now you've got a skink horde 40 bodies 10 bravery on a four up to save so pretty awesome and, and this is where we talked earlier about the difference between having bravery five skinks versus bravery 10 and obviously for every 10 models in a unit, you get an additional one point of bravery for battle shock. So should I get in the face of those those 40 skinks? Uh, one, I'm probably not spending a command point. Two, I've got that command point to get them to shoot and then retreat. Uh, should I need to? So I'm going to do some damage and then, you know, uh, make your life harder to kill those skinks. Yeah. Um, just the difference here. And this is, and again, then add the fact that we've got a couple of different rules that impact keyword skinks. You can really see that uh, you're you're incentivized to take a couple of units of skinks, but not necessarily all of them because you've got the Saurus Guard. And um, you did mention a little bit earlier that uh, Lord Croak can pass off some of those wounds um, to a Saurus Guard instead of taking it themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's nice that they count as battle line because it, it helps us save on points. What? So, <laughs> so it's it's pretty nice that way. So, <laughs> lots of flexibility here. <laughs> oh my gosh oh wow i must have had some uh, they must have had a lot of seraphon stock in the in the warehouse but yeah. in fairness to you all uh or y'all uh yeah, you did right. have the very first battle tome that came out and uh, you waited a good five years for an update so yeah. Yeah. um <laughs> i'll let you have your time in the sun <laughs> so so this list it has a, a max block of 40 skinks they're going to be rolling two attacks each when they're over 15 units or models so you're rolling 80 dice at somebody that's going to be fours you're probably re-rolling ones because of hand of glory and um on the wounds it's five up to wound nothing to buff that but on sixes um because of the star priest they'll do mortals and so your star priest has a just free ability all he does is point his staff at somebody it's not a prayer you don't have to spend anything for it. You just point it at somebody, and now they're doing sixes uh, to wound our mortals. And normally that's pretty bad unless you have a ton of dice. And here you have a ton of dice. And so that 40 block of skinks, it's it's going to do about you know, 15, 16 damage versus a four-up save, and a lot of that is mortals. And so you're, oh. you're really fishing for those mortals. I was going to say, because when you look at those, whether you take the javelin or the bolt splitter, you're hitting on fives until obviously once you're above 15, 15 or more, you get the plus one. Oh, you get a plus one attack characteristics. So, yeah, yeah. so, so you're really fishing for mortals as opposed mm-hmm. to trying to get, because there's no rand, it's one damage, you're hitting on fives, wounding on fours or wounding yeah. on fives. Yeah. So you're going to do a whole lot of nothing. But when you start bringing in mortals, you start bringing in, uh, they now do two shots opposed to one. Um, that's nasty. It's just, yeah, it's, it's just a weighted dice. So that one skink, that 40 block is throwing 80 dice, the 30 is throwing 60, and you're fishing for those mortals uh, on the wound. And, you, you know, you'll get about half of those through. So on the wound roll, you're, you're looking for 40 dice, sixes are going to be mortals. So you're going to do a lot of mortals with these guys. And How are you so, doing the mortals again? Uh, this is from the Skink Star Priest. He has a, a staff that just, he points it at the skinks and says, you get mortals. So... It's pretty nice. Um, and that is the key to the army. If you're looking at a way to, to reduce the effectiveness of these skinks, look to that little five wound hero. He's got a five up save. He's super fragile. He's the one you want to target. If if you don't have a way to just kill the heroes, you might suffer here against this army. Um, but if you can kill off those star priests, the army loses a lot, a lot of juice. 
I was going to say it's a star priest, not the not, not the skink priest. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was just looking at the skink priest. Uh, I'm like, like, where is this mortals? But no, <laughs> yeah. it's the skink star priest. Skink and star priest. Yeah. Is that is that why you've got two copies of Hand of Glory as well, more for redundancy and just you know, if because they've only got what five wounds a piece, they've got a five up arbor save. They'll go yeah. down to a stiff breeze. So is it there for redundancy more than um, than anything? Yeah. Absolutely. Hand of Glory is reroll hit rolls of one. It just it just keeps me from having to spend a command point. They have they have a natural spell that is amazing once you get in close, and it reduces the target within uh, maybe twelve or maybe eighteen. I can't remember. Um, it reduces their save by one. And so once you get in close with these guys, you'll probably switch off Hand of Glory to their War Scroll spell, which will reduce the target's save by one. So. A, a nice little natural uh, spell there. So. Do you think it's worth making your skinks at least maybe one of your units of skinks to have the um, the moonstone club as opposed to the uh, the daggers? Uh, you could. Uh, you lose a star bucklers, which gives them the the five up save. So a star buckler will give them a five up save instead of a six up save. And with the skink priest, a lot of times you're getting that extra plus one. So now they're a four up and. They're they're hard. They weirdly enough, these skinks become a little hard to to shift once you're once they're at a four up save. Um, you can create some melee skink lists that are actually pretty good. You give them the you give them the clubs instead of the shield, and give them a a stegodon in support who will give them an extra attack in melee. And all of a sudden, these little guys are basically plague monks with a shooting attack. So yeah, you can you can make these guys into pretty awesome melee, but I like the 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 extra save on these guys. It just comes natural from the shield. Plus, I had like a hundred and twenty built with shields from the previous book, so I'm not changing them. <laughs> fair call, fair call. So we talk power pairs. We've got Lord Croak, we've got the Astrolith Bearer, and we've got the Saurus Guard. That's our little power combo. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We've then got the two units of Skinks, and they're going to be supported by a Skink Star Priest each yep yep a skink priest and a skink star priest each will go on with those blocks of skinks yep oh see oh sorry yeah, yeah you got two skink priests so you so each block of skinks will have both a star priest and a priest that goes with them mm -hmm. yep two little heroes you'll pretty much always see those two little heroes trailing right behind your units of skinks they got to stay uh holy within 12 the skinks got to stay holy within 12 of them so they're gonna they're gonna run up there with them they're same speed so they're going the same same distance they are um, you're going to be running them as well and keeping them up with those, those skinks and they're going to, they're going to stay there and buff. So if you can take those two little, uh, heroes out, then the skinks should be pretty easy to deal with. But as long as those two guys stay alive, the skinks are going to be a huge thorn in your side. Yeah. The skink priests only have four wounds at a five up armor save, but when I look at the abilities of the star stone staff, which on a three plus allows a unit to run and still shoot or charge. And it adds plus one to their save roll. It makes one, a block of durable skinks. They're now on four up armor saves because of the shield. Uh, but two, the ability to run and shoot or run and charge. Um, you can't, you can't un underestimate that. That is, is powerful to get your bodies around the board quicker. Um, you can't retreat there, can you? It's just run. It's just run and shoot or run and charge. It's not mm -hmm. retreat. No, cool. Yeah. I was going to say if you could retreat as well, like that'd just be nasty. <laughs> and, and this this actually pairs really well with the fangs of Sotek. And if you go back to that picture that showed the deployment and some ranges here, 
this this adds to their range. So your your skinks that are lining up there on the line, um, they've got an eight inch move. They're having the plus three move to from fangs. Now you're going to run and shoot and or charge. If you wanted to charge, you're probably not going to, but run and shoot with these guys. Um, if you don't roll a six, I'm probably going to spend a command point if I need to, but you really don't really need to. Um, whatever they run, and then plus one to their run because maybe we've put the um, the constellations to plus one to run. And then they have a 16-inch shooting attack. And so <laughs> with that, uh, I think your range is 46 inches. And if you know about the uh, table here, like uh, this is including your 12-inch deployment, a table is only 48 inches deep. So the opponent has about two inches of safe space at the back of their board from your skinks. And so these guys are going to hit just about anything they want to on the board. Um, it's really, really hard to hide from these skinks. Um, so they this, this is one of those things where they already have a lot of abilities. You can pile on these extra abilities, and now they're going to get to put their threat range pretty much wherever they want to. Now, if they do fail the, the prayer from that skink priest so they don't get to run and shoot, that's okay. I don't need that extra six inches in Fangs of Sotek. That extra three inches that I get from Fangs of Sotek gets me in enough range to kill whatever you've got on the line and probably whatever you've got just past the line. So it's uh, it's it's an added bonus here getting that spell off. If, if for some reason they've got something out of range and you've got your bus but you didn't get run and charge, you know, just teleport your skinks wherever you need them and they'll be there. So it's it's really hard to hide from these guys, um, which makes which makes the first attack from this list quite deadly. Which um, is which is why you if you want to beat Seraphon and you are gunning for the, the top tables, you need to have an answer for some of this stuff. You need to take out those support heroes as quick as possible because they're not very durable. They're not very good. You can take them down, but it's it's getting the jump in front of them before they can act. It reminds me a little bit about how you'd kind of beat Petrofix Elite OBR uh, when they were at the height of their power. You wanted to get them turn one before they could, you know, use a whole bunch of their buffs and supports, those their support pieces. So uh, thinking about one, how you can take down those heroes, uh, not relying on magic, unless you are Techless or Nagash um, or Hallowheart trying to get like a plus eight on your cast. Um, you've really got to start thinking about things like high rend, uh, high volume of attacks, whether it's going to be things like your your hurricane crossbows or your long strike crossbows, whether it's going to be uh, like even with cities of Sigma, a lot of people who are using like your iron drakes to kind of come up the board are relying on the soul screen breach to teleport that big block of iron drake. So, you know that strategy of getting that that um, that uh, that bridge up is it's got a whole lot harder against you. So it's not as a reliable strategy. Yeah. And, and this list kind of has some redundancies just in case for some reason you've deployed in a way that I can't reach you with my skinks. That's what my chameleon skinks and my salamators are for. Um, the, this list is, is designed kind of as an alpha strike list and those chameleon skinks and salamators help in that. The chameleon skinks, I'm taking 15 here in one block. It's a pretty big block. Um, they can start off the board on deployment. So they're in reserve and they pop up anywhere within nine inches of the enemy or outside of nine inches of the enemy. And they're shooting, they have two attacks each, so they're, you're rolling 30 dice, and sixes will do a mortal. That's kind of what you're fishing for. Uh, they'll do a little bit of damage otherwise, but basically that's you're, you're able to snipe off some heroes here. They have a 16-inch range on their shot, so they're dropping in nine. They have 16-inch range shooting. Um, you're able to 
to kind of scalpel off the the support units that might make the other team good. And so these chameleon skinks are kind of used in that way. But then we've also got the salamanders that um, are, you know, we talked before, are my teleporting target. And so what I'm probably doing is I'm going to buff these guys up with, with a star priest and a priest instead of the 30 skinks. I'm going to leave the 30 skinks to kind of capture an objective. And then I'm going to teleport these salamanders. So turn one, I'm going to hit you with 40 skinks rolling 80 dice at you. I'm going to hit you with 15 chameleon skinks rolling 30 dice at you. And I'm going to hit you salamanders, which are just crazy. They do a ton of mortals. They have high rend. They're good in combat too, weirdly. Um, these things are amazing. So this list is going to hit you extremely hard turn one. Um, it, 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 I think I mathed it out. I think it's going to do about 55 damage versus a four up save turn one. And there's really not much you can do about it if you give me turn one. Um, so it's, it's, it's the kind of list that you don't really want to play this against your friends unless you don't like your friends. So it's well more. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't like having friends, so if you like not having friends, this is the, the list for you. And I think, and, and the, the reason why, and, and um, I was watching a, a recent episode of uh, Warhammer weekly with Vince Ventrella, they were talking about, you know, some of the things that create the most negative game experiences and Seraphon, I think has some of the top ones. They are, uh, oppressive in movement they're oppressive in magic and uh just some of the other abilities just stops me from doing what i want to do so yeah. unless you have certain builds i'm a you know i imagine carriage and overlords i mentioned is, is already one maybe if i'm uh, uh an iron jaws iron sons where i'm just like a turn one steamroll you with some uh with a more crusher and getting your face early other than that is there's, there's uh, very few armies that would actually like shrug their shoulders and go eh, who cares because um, you will stop me from doing what I want to do with this type of list. Yeah, the, the key, I think, if, if you're looking at a way to defeat this list, and this is most things of Sotex are going to be somewhat similar to this with, with probably command skinks uh, changed out for something else, or you'll see a little variance here and there, maybe some uh, boundedless spells, but it's going to be very similar. Big hordes of skinks, croak kind of as a centerpiece. Um, you have to have a way to get on them turn one. Don't give them turn one, or if you do, I mean, back all the way up and maybe like behind your screens, put a screen on the front line, back all the way up, and that'll save you a little bit. But um, then they'll pin you, but then you'll get pinned yeah, out of the objective yeah. game. So, yeah, you might avoid the damage, but you will not then score because you've got these big yeah. blocks of skinks and you've got teleporting through um, the Lords of Space and Time. Yeah, so if you can hit this list turn one, I'm in a lot of trouble because if, if you can alpha strike me, I have no command points in this list. Um, if you hit those skinks, those skink blocks hard, I don't have any, I can't do the parting shot. I don't have a command point to spend on that. Even if I did, I probably wouldn't spend it because they'd just be fives and fives. I haven't buffed them up yet. Um, so you're, you can destroy a lot of those skinks if you can get into that. If you can take off the skink star priest, I would focus on those star priests before I'd even focus on croak, to be honest. They give a lot of damage to those skinks. Um, Unfortunately, you'll probably have to deal with uh, the salamanders and chameleons no matter what you do. Salamanders, I'm going to deploy them to where you can't get them. And the chameleons are off the board. So you will have to deal with them. But if you can if you can put pressure onto those skin cords, turn one, then you can put me on my back foot uh, to where I'll have, to, I'll have to end up deploying stuff in my own zone instead of pressing forward. This is designed as an alpha strike army. If you can do that back to me, turn one. Uh, take that first turn and hit me hard, then then you'll have a good chance. 
I think the other thing to call out with the salamanders is, um, so the salamanders, the hunting pack comes with one salamander and is it three, 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 three. skinks? Yeah. yeah. So in this list, for example, you, while you've only got three salamanders, you have an additional nine skinks. Yeah, it's so, an eight, 18 wound unit, so it's 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 pretty nice. Yeah. Correct. So what I was going to say is that if I deal damage to the salamanders, you're just going to take off the skinks first, and that has no impact or bearing to the ability of the performance of the of the salamander. So they yeah. have, still have four attacks. They still hit on threes. They still wound on threes. They still have rend two. They still have d three damage. And if you roll a six to hit, they do d three mortal wounds instead. So it's high rend, high damage. They've only got 12, 12 inch um, twelve inch range which is perfect for the teleporting with Lords in Space and Time. Mm-hmm. Um, so but, you, you, if, you, if, you get, if you're going to go for the Salamanders, you've got to take them down quick. Otherwise, they're just going to take the Skinks off and it's not going to impact the Salamanders at all. Yeah, yeah. The Salamanders will, will continue to be a threat. They're, they're what's going to teleport around the board. They're good in shooting and melee. Um, so you, they, will be a ta- they will be a priority target. I, I think I'm trying to put pressure on those skink priests if i can turn one just to reduce those hordes ability um and plus i'm gonna i'm gonna like if you look at that picture the salamander hunting pack they're gonna be behind my lines screened off because i don't care about getting them close i'm gonna teleport them yeah you see them kind of down here in the middle um back behind croak and stuff so they're, they're gonna be hard to get to unless you can come in from the side but i'll screen them off to make sure that i can teleport them where i need to yeah, and look, look, I, I realize you know for anyone who's listening that isn't a Seraphon player, and you're probably feeling a little bit deflated, you yeah. know. And I realize this is a this is a tough matchup. This is uh, unless you were playing in the upper echelons, uh, you're playing with some of the strongest armies right now. I imagine something like the Lumineth Realm Lords with the, I know in the UK they're playing with some lists that have like up to eighty wardens, uh, blocking line, no, they ignore line of sight, just doing mortal wounds on the sixes. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's those types of builds that can project power, mortal wounds from range in your shooting phase, not in your magic, but in your shooting phase. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that probably deal the most damage or the most concern to a Seraphon player. Or, as you said, turn one charge me, whether you're Stonehorns, whether you're more Crushers, some type of Alpha Strike, I deploy first, I get in your face first and stop you f- before you can get your abilities and your CPs and mm-hmm. um, your power up. Because once you get into power turn one, uh, it's going to be tough. Yeah, I think Lumineth is a great answer for this, because especially because they they have that spell that will cost. Use me, I, I, it's two command points for every time you want to spend a command point, which really hurts this army. That's Lumineth that has that, and so Lumineth is I think is a pretty good answer for this because I'm spending command points like crazy in this army, and they're gonna they're gonna make it to where I can't do that, and then they're gonna snipe off my little guys from far away. So it's, it's Seraphon Seraphon isn't unbeatable it's not like they are perfect guys um but i think you need to think about your strategy and i think you need to have a uh a hard loss the first time and then you think about your deployment and this is where bringing down your deployment drops as, as quick as possible um uh, caleb doesn't have any battalions here for example so if you have a battalion there's a good chance that you're going to get to dictate at least first turn but it's can you project your power early uh or do I need to bring something in? If I'm trying to compete with the top tables, then I need a catapult. I need a rocket launcher. I need uh, those wardens. I need something that can project uh, power from a very far away. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. 
Um, any anything else you want to add to this list? I can't, I, think, I feel like we've covered most of it. I think we've sat on this list for almost an hour, but it was good because we have um, we've really gone through the synergies and how they've worked and how you're using them, as well as we've taken the other side, which you don't, we don't normally do here, but we did have a look at you know how to beat them, what you need to consider. We've had some pretty robust discussions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, it's it comes down to the old trope of just shoot the heroes. <laughs> you know, uh, if you can do that, that's that's one good way to take them down. And you know, like guys, you can season for taste as well. Um, you know, if you want to bring in geminids, bound geminids, for example, if you want to uh, not take the chameleon skinks, and uh, I, I, I think I saw in the chat, I think it was Vito asking about your thoughts on a uh a carnosaur like an old blood carnosaur if you want something like more more combat beat sticks something that kind of gets into your opponent's face um you know you could always bring in something like that or, or croxigores or a bacillodon mm. you could still bring in things like season for taste but really the core parts of this particular list is going to be one the combination between croak the ashleth bearer the, the the Saurus Guard and the Bailwind. That's one little little combo. And then the other one is for all of your skinks. You're also bringing the Priest and the Star Priest. Uh, whether you take one, two, three blocks, you're trying to keep that whole little Holy Trinity. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, it's been a while since we talked about it, but looking at that deployment, when I bring all these things up, I'm doing all this damage. The frustrating part about this list is when you charge me, I'm doing all that damage again. And so that's that's part of what creates this this uh, kind of feel-bad experience with this the Fangs of Sotek in that. Um, I'm doing a ton of damage turn one, and then if you're charging me uh, in your turn, I'm doing that damage again. So Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I imagine, um, I imagine a double turn from Seraphon, you might as well just pack up and go to the bar. It's, uh, it can be pretty yeah. nasty. So Yeah, pretty brutal. Not saying you can't look, you can't win, but yeah, uh, yeah. but uh, yeah, there's just so much power projection. Mm-hmm. Comes in 142 wounds, 2,000 points on the dot. You've used all six leader shots, no slots, no surprise, um, and only one endless spell. And um, uh, basically, guys, the, the the one thing that you can do and is uh, Seraphon has the ability to have bound endless spells. You pay a little bit extra. But the big thing is that you only you can control them. And um, there is one particular spell that Seraphon has. I think it's a slan that has access to the spell where you can dispel all spells uh, across the board unless they're uh, bound. Bound, so, yeah. yeah. So it means Geminid yeah. can't come back against you. It means if you had the Burning Head, your opponent can't move it back against you. Anything that has the Predatory spell can't be used against you if it's bound. So yeah. for the additional 10-odd points um incredible value because geminids you know one d3 damage for each geminid as well as minus one to hit or minus one damage um attacks attacks like that's just nasty and 70 points and i can't come back to me um there's this is nothing but high value and no risk and in fact if you're looking for an alternate spell for the skink, the skink has a great one that you can actually capture somebody else's endless spell. So if you don't want to bring your own endless spells, just let somebody else cast one and then you capture it with your skink and then send it back to them. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think the only endless spells you can't mess with is the, um, uh, but, is the, OB, the OBR ones. They're so yeah, linked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cool. So that is our pretty robust discussion when it comes to the Fangs of Sotek. And I imagine that 
this one will be a little bit quicker, guys, but this will be a little bit quicker because the core <laughs> of the list will be, be very similar. But the differences between Fangs of Sotek and Dracovian Tail and what makes each will be, I guess, a little different. So uh, what I get with my and, – and, and the good thing is, is Caleb has given us a little deployment map for this one as well. So uh, look at this, hashtag content creator. Um, <laughs> and if you're liking this as well, guys, link below. We do have uh, Caleb's channel. Go check it out. Highly recommend it. Uh, he is a very knowledgeable guy for everything that's not FAQs. <laughs> Dracothian Tail, you get a couple of things. Same deal. You get yourself an ability. You get yourself a command trait. You get yourself an artifact. Uh, the ability is quite wordy, Caleb. I might get you just to give me a high-level overview of what the, the appears, appear on command is. Um, imagine Stormcast, but you have to be within 18 of the Slon. That's basically it. So what you can set up half your units in, the, in reserve, and then they come up, uh, they come onto the board within 18 of a slon. And so outside of nine of the enemy, obviously. So it, it, this is kind of a faction that you can fit a lot of things in. Like whatever you want to play, if you want to play it in Starborn, but you don't want to play Fangs, you don't want to have hordes of skinks, you can play it in here. You can play um, uh, here. Could be fun. So if you have a bunch of Source Warriors and you want to get them further up the field, then they can walk on their own. This is a fun one to put them in. You can all of a sudden just make a peer 120 warriors if you want to. You can make a peer a bunch of carnosaurs. And so there's a lot of things that you can put into the sky that you want to keep safe, turn one, and have drop down in the in the middle of the battlefield uh, on your turn. And you don't have to do it turn one. You still have access to, to teleports. And so you can teleport your salon if you want to bring a whole bunch of stuff in somewhere else. Um, so there's a lot of flexibility here. And that you can you can set stuff up stuff up around your salon um, on the board. So pretty fun sub faction. Uh, you probably won't see it a ton in competitive play, but I think there are some pretty some lists that you can make that are pretty competitive. The one I brought today is a little bit more fun, um, but it it does have some unique flexibility in that that uh, you can you can have stuff on the board where you need it. Yeah, I, uh, shout, out, shout out to one of the boys in my Discord, Dreamer, who I played him in TTS with this particular uh, build. And he was a very friendly opponent who put three units of uh, 12 salamanders in the sky <laughs> and okay. uh, just yeah. come yeah. down. And luckily, I still had like Phoenix Guard, but they still burninated okay. all the Phoenix Guard. Yeah, um, yeah. So just, just for that rule, guys, for every one unit that's on the table, if anyone doesn't know the Stormcast rules, for every one that's on the table, you get to put one in reserve. So if you've got uh, five, if you've got a 10 drop list, it means you could put five units in reserve and five units on the table. Mm -hmm. um, so think about it that way. So it could be a way to, uh, you, as long as you got to bring it on by the fourth battle round as well. So you could bring it in turn two, three, four. Uh, oh, sorry, no, if it's, uh, if it's not set up by the fourth battle round, so one, two, and three. Yeah. One, two, and three, yeah. the units are going to be down. So it means you could be going in uh, protecting yourself against KO, for example. Uh, it could mean that you have some type of threatening unit at the back of the board for an objective in turn three. Um, it could help you with some of these buff pieces down the track that might not be fast enough. So uh, if you need more than one teleport, this could be for you. The the one the one weakness, the Achilles heel of this list is that if your salon gets killed, all those things that you have set up off the board cannot come on the battlefield. So you better make sure you don't get your slon killed turn one and like half your army's left off the table. <laughs> so uh, plan for that. Is it worth keep? Could you? 
Is it worth keeping his slot off the table or no, you can't? No, 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 no. You can't, you, your slot has to be on the table, but if he gets killed, yeah. all those units that you have set up in reserve can't gone. come in. They, can't, they come in, they effectively yeah. counted as, as killed. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Interesting. Yeah. What about the command trait and the artifact? You've got the ancient knowledge, which uh, the general knows one extra spell from the spell law, and you can re-roll one cast to spell and unbind in each hero face. That's pretty sexy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this one's nice that you can you can take this and um, this will make if you're taking a regular slon, which would be the only one that can that can get this command trait. Um, now he's got access to another spell, which gives him some more options. Normally, you, you end up like casting Mystic Shield or something with him because you don't have enough uh, spell lore to cast. Uh, this case, you have another spell, and you get a reroll um, one casting, dispelling, and unbinding, which means this isn't just in your casting phase. This is in the enemy's casting phase as well. And so you have some flexibility there. Um, you can't if, if, let's say, you have a uh, battalion there's another command trait that can give you actually another re-rolling to your uh, casting. So in this list, a slon can be an incredibly powerful caster if you want them to be. Re-rolling two spells, two unbinds, two dispels, it's, it's, it's can be pretty nice. So you can't re-roll a re-roll, but you could have yeah. two re-rolls independently. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, if someone's throwing, like I know when I play uh, against uh, Seraphon, I love to take the uh, Everblaze Comet from Stormcast. Mm -hmm. uh, it, you know, it, it does some damage as well as it you know reduces the casting um, of, of people within range. You know, you could unbind that pretty easily. Uh, you could stop yeah. your opponent casting their important buff spells or their teleporting or their summoning. Mm -hmm. If it's summoning, it's a spell, not an ability. Yeah. But again, this is kind of like just keeping your opponent at bay. Finally, yeah. you got the artifact, the God Beast Pendant. Um, so the first time that the bearer is slain, remove it from the battlefield. On a roll of a one to a three, they are slain. On a four to a six, they're not slain. And all wounds are healed, so uh, <laughs> pro probably a really nice incentive to have the unnamed slan uh, and keep them on the table longer. Yeah, this this is this is the acknowledgement of don't get your slan killed. So here's a chance to bring him back um, and be fully healed. Um, Fifty fifty. I'm, I'm, yeah, I, it's it's good. I like it. I I'm gonna be honest though. I'm still not taking a regular slan with Croak being this cheap. Um, not getting FAQ'd to hire. I'm probably going to put him in this list, and then I can opt out of this command trait and put a different command trait on something else because uh, we have some some pretty good command traits, especially for skinks, and I would almost opt out of that uh, to, to, to keep croaking this list and, and get something on uh, a skink hero. <laughs> games workshop listens to my channel by the way guys so uh, i and if not i'm just psyching you out but either way uh they, they know they know croak needs to go up but i don't i don't need my little channel telling them uh you haven't spoiled the party but yeah what have you got in this list so this is the dracothian's tail list there's probably going to be a lot of commonality folks so we won't talk too much about in depth we do we literally just spoke a lot about these units already but we might call out some of the key synergies and some of the things that we um, we haven't talked about yet. And there is certainly one thing, two things already I see that we haven't really spoken about. So we do have Lord Croak. It is the Stellar Templist, same spells we just previously had. We have the Ashleth Bearer with the God Beast Pendant. That's the, uh, the Dracothian Tail artifact. 
We have a Stegadon with Skink Chief, which is the general. It has the command trait Nimble, the artifact Cloak of Feathers, and the weapon of the Sky Streak Bow. Mm -hmm. We have, in my opinion, uh, make Croxicores great again. Six Croxicores <laughs> with 10 Skinks, 10 Skinks, and 10 Saurus Guard. We also have a Stegadon with the uh, Sky Streak Bow and uh, the Constellation of Thunder Lizard. Uh, we also have the same. Well, we got two of them. We got two two of the same loadouts. So two Stegadons with the Sky Streak Bow and the Seraphon Battleline. Uh, it is Thunderquake Starhost. So we do have a battalion. We do have Chronomatic Cogs again coming in two thousand points at the nose for a hundred and seven wounds. So this is a little bit different. You know, the last list that we just looked at was all Skinks. It was just Skink spam across the board. Now we've got some beasts. We've got some Steggies, we've got some Croxies, and we've got Lord Croak still. So we still have the Holy Trinity, although you don't have Bailwind, you've got Cogs. Yeah, yeah. So um, that makes this a narrative list, right? <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag fun list. This is, this is a, a fat middle. This is like three and two. That's so, so in Dracothian's Tale, um, you know, you're looking to deliver something up the board or deliver something onto objectives. Um, my favorite unit in, in Seraphon is the Stegadon. So I'm going to figure out a way to deliver Stegadons into the opponent's face turn one. So that's what this list is about. So uh, you've got Croak and the Ashworth Bear. And he, I, did, I don't have Bailwind Vortex. So his range is only 16 inches. So you won't be hitting anybody with those, those Mortal Wound Bombs turn one. Now, you'll probably get them mixed in later. Um, but I did take 10 guard in this list just to give him an extra wounds so that he doesn't get killed turn one so that I can still bring in all the fun stuff from Dracothian's, Dracothian's Tale. So the stuff I'm bringing in is uh, three Stegadons and six Croxagore. They're going to be in that battalion. They're all part of that battalion, the Thunderquake Starhost, which isn't nearly as good a Thunderquake battalion as the one Coalesce get. What it does is it just allows you to heal one wound in the hero phase. Not great but it lowers my drops. It gives me everything I need in the battalion and it'll help my Stegadon skink chief here uh, stay alive a little bit longer because in this list, he is pretty tanky. So he is my general, which allows me to opt out of that command trait. And I'm giving him nimble. That gives him plus one to his move, but also plus one to his save, um, which is an awesome command trait there. Um, and so he what's goes. His armor, yeah. I was going to say, what's his armor save and what's oh. it go to? He's a four up naturally um, against five or fewer models. He's a three up um, at the, at the at start of combat phase. He can say, I'm going to point my, my Stegadon helmet at you. And now I'm a three up against that unit. So with nimble, he's now a two up against, uh, you know, that, that target that you're looking at. Um, Cloak of feathers is pretty awesome because it does allow him to fly. It gives him plus four to his move. So now he's plus five move. Um, and he's minus one to hit. So that, that artifact is amazing. I would take any three of those on a normal artifact, and we get all three of them on one artifact. So um, you can take the Stegadon Helm artifact on him, which would give him another plus one if you want to have a two-up Stegadon. So you can go that route, but I do like Cloak of Feathers because um, I'm going to try to make a good charge. If I roll really high on this charge when I bring him in, he's going to fly over something and hit that, that priority target I want. Um, I am putting all three bows, the Skytrick bows on these guys, on the Stegadons. Uh, pretty incredible bow, 24-inch range, uh, th three attacks, threes and threes, and does three damage each. So um, a pretty good way to snipe off those little little support heroes. Um, 
And you also do mortals on the charge as well. I just wanted to check the rules mm. to make sure that, uh, yes, yeah. we end we end a charge within one uh, on a three plus, you do D3 mortal wounds. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So the, the, the object of this list is to, you can, and I think you can bring up that deployment now. Um, you're going to, you're going to, um, cast cogs that's pretty vital if you don't cast cogs which you know you'll be plus plus three to cast so you should be able to get it off so chronomatic uh, cog, cogs is plus two to move run and charge uh yeah no move and charge move and charge move and charge, charge. yeah I mean, it's been so long since i paid played with cogs yeah so you'll be plus two to charge so you're bringing these guys in um wholly within 18 and you can kind of see that shaded bubble there and it's a pretty big range that you can bring stuff in around the salon. So I've moved them up a little bit in my hero in my movement phase, the the croak, and you're able to you're able to push further than you need to. So if you don't want to put the salon on the line, you don't have to. Uh, you can you can push them up a little bit afterwards. Um, but then I'm dropping all this in nine inches away from their army. I've got cogs that's going to give me plus two if I wanted to roll the dice and try to cast cogs on only a plus two to cast, you can give the constellation to plus one to charge. So that now you only have to make a six inch charge with these guys. Uh, and that's quite doable, especially when you'll have quite a few uh, command points and you'll have some rerolls. So uh, these guys should all be getting into combat. You're going to shove three Stegodons that are all pretty tanky and then six Croxagor, which can put out quite a bit of hurt into their into their faces turn one so a narrative list i think but if you're going against like a uh an elite army these stegodons are gonna gonna be awesome against this army here on the table you probably won't fare very well the croxagor will do amazing against plague monks um but you'll probably get hit back pretty hard by those plague monks against the stegodons but this list right here is a lot of fun whatever you want to bring into a starborn army dracothian's tail can fit it in and you can deploy it almost anywhere you want to on the board so it's a lot of fun and the the you know when, when caleb talks about it being a narrative <laughs> list we're talking more of a fun list because uh yeah. it would be easy to just grab as i mentioned uh dreamer again looking at you friend <laughs> yeah um dropping down like two three units of salamanders and because they've got to be outside of nine inches from an enemy but they've got a 12 inch shooting attack they can just burninate you with those what three four attacks each threes and threes ren two d3 yeah. mortal three d3 wounds or if you roll a six to hit it's d3 mortal wounds so you could just absolutely obliterate a line with salamanders um we haven't talked about uh bastilodons at all uh we haven't talked about ripodactyls or pterodons mm-hmm. um you know there's so many options that you've got here we haven't talked about the engine of the gods either um so you can really play around with the high movement uh, list and you know to be brutally honest croxagors are probably some of the worst choices you can make right now mostly because you can't synergize croxagor with anything like there's no way to make croxagor any better than they are yeah you get you get a plus one if they're within range of some skinks but that's about or a skink keyword which is a lot of but it's not enough you, there's not really a lot you can do to them uh, they, they are they are fantastic and coalesced and thunderquake and all that kind of stuff but here, you know, I'm just, I like the Croxagore, so I'm putting them in this list to have some fun. Sure. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that they're useless, but when you think yeah. about everything we've talked about, whether it was the last video when we talked coalesced and really just maximizing our Saurus with the, the benefits of the old bloods, or if we're talking now about the, the synergies we've just talked about with skinks and um, some of the options that are available, you know, when you compare that to Croxagore, Croxagore, they, they will take a lot of wounds. 
Uh, I have I, I recently played a, a coalesced version with a block of nine croxagors, and right. they hit hard. They hit hard, but they just don't synergize as well as a blockosaurus with you know an old blood. Uh, and this battalion, the Thunderquake Star Host, that is your engine of the gods or a, a Stegodon with a Skink Chief, the unit of, of Croxigor, the hunting or a hunting pack, which would be a unit of Salamanders, mm -hmm. and then uh, two Bastilodons or Stegodons in any combination. So if you didn't want the Steggies and you wanted Bastilodons, or if you wanted the hunting pack of Salamanders or uh, what's the other ones? The Razordons. Razordons, yeah. uh, instead of the Croxigors, you could always build around that and have a similar feel. Again, season for taste, do what you want to do. And in your hero phase, you would heal one wound allocated to each of the units in the battalion. Uh, or if they're within 18 of the, the, the friendly slant, they would heal D3. So a nice way to keep up those big beasties. Yeah. Uh, it wouldn't heal back any of your salamanders. It wouldn't heal back any of your skinks that died from the salamanders, but yeah. it would be... Uh, a way to heal these multi-wound uh, yeah. models. Yeah, yeah. This and uh, Dracothian's tail is 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 pretty um, pretty flexible. Uh, you you can put a lot of stuff in it. Um, I've seen some pretty crazy lists that that have you know two slons in it that that you can put stuff all around the board on. And so if if you dig deep into Dracothian's tail, if you don't want to play fangs, but you have a lot of the stuff that goes in Starborn, uh, there is some deep stuff that you can do in Dracothian's tail with deployment shenanigan type stuff to where I'm, I'm pulling stuff out of the sky, putting it forward on the board. Um, you do want to try to minimize if, if you're trying to make those charges, you want to look for ways to, to increase that charge range, which we have access to. Um, but a lot of it's kind of uh, placing things on the board in different places. So maybe, maybe a rapid fire kind of way to finish the show uh, again, being conscious of time and, uh, and how detailed we've been, especially with our first list, the Fangs of Sotek list. There's a whole bunch of things like this is a quite a robust ba uh, battle tome. You've got a lot of options that we haven't spoken about. I'd love your thoughts on maybe some of the options that we haven't spoken about yet. I, I did mention earlier the engine of the gods. We haven't really spoken about Bastilodons. We haven't spoke, spoken about our flying units, whether it's the Ripidactyls or the Pterodons. Um, there are some other things that we haven't really spoken about, the, the Razodons. What's your thoughts on on some of the other units that you haven't chosen uh, in, 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 in Starborn? Um, I love the the pterodons in Starborn, especially Fangs of Sotek. You can have a really, really fun list, but also really good in that you um, these guys are are just tearing across the board in Fangs of Sotek. They're already fast. They are, you know, the definition of a glass cannon, though. They only have a six up save. Uh, once they have an ability that when you move over something, they can drop rocks, which does D3 mortals. And there is a role associated with it. You can make it better with a, with a hero. Um, but you can do a ton of mortals that way in high movement. So if you really like playing the movement game where you're moving all over the board, doing some mortals here, doing some mortals there, uh, pterodons can be a lot of fun. Um, Ripperdactyls, unfortunately, I think they, they they don't really have a place anymore. If, if what, you cha what changed? Because... My, my, a lot of my experience against Seraphon, I've played against big blocks of Ripidactyls. And yeah. I remember uh, there's a, a podcaster, Ter uh, Dan, Dan um, he, he runs uh, Priority Roll. 
Uh, he he got a nickname of Ter- Teradan because he yeah. started introducing pterodons before this this book. But he started yeah. using um, pterodons when no one was using pterodons. It was only about rippers, putting the bloat toad down, uh, buffing them up. You know, you didn't have to be outside of nine inches. You could you know you could literally deploy within three. I think it was or just outside of three. Yep. Um, what's changed that's made ripper dactyls less attractive between battle tomes? Is it the fact that you've now got to drop outside of nine or is there something else? No, it's not even that. They're they're slower for some reason than pterodons. Um, they do way less damage. They used to have a uh, an ability that when they would hit, it would explode into extra attacks, and you could re-roll your hits to make sure they all exploded. And so you would you would I would usually drop a unit of six, and I would force you to make fifty saves, no rend, but fifty saves off that unit of six. Um, now they do have a reroll, but they don't explode. They don't have as many attacks anymore. And so they, they're just, they hit like a napkin. I mean, they, they, they do no damage now. And um, they used to have a battalion where you could just put them in reserve, which is what made them so special. You'd have like a big block of six to 12 yep. ripper dactyls, put the bloat toad down. They'd hit the backfield or a weak point. Yeah. Um, and then they would ignore the outside of nine rule at the time. They, they still have a battalion that lets them deep strike, but it's nine inches now. That that yeah. three inches was, was incredibly, incredibly good because, I mean, it's almost impossible to screen out for three inches on the entire board. Um, yeah. And so it's nine inches now. Uh, you, can, you can find some ways around that if you really work hard, like cogs and the plus one to, to charge, but they're just not worth it. Um, pterodactyls are just so much better, and you don't need a battalion to get pterodactyls in turn one. So they, they're so fast. Uh, that they can get across the board. So yeah, you're, you're spending a lot of points already on some of your key synergies. So then put down Ripidactyls to have potentially a hero there that's going to support them and a battalion. It's a very high cost, and they're points that aren't going into skinks, into your Saurus Guard, into something else in your army. They, they can be run as like a MSU type of, I need something that can fly, can go pretty fast to score objectives later on. Um, cause they're only like 80 points, 70 or 80 points. I, I can't remember exactly, but they're real, real cheap for three of them. And so you can get those. If you've just got a few extra points, put those in your list and they can score objectives later on for you if you need to. But yeah, yeah. Kind of the same with, with razor dons. You used to see a lot of razor dons, which mm-hmm. were the ones that had the, they had the overwatch shoot after you've been charged kind of thing. And I think there's still you could still make them work, especially with a couple of the buffs that you can give them because they do have the skink keyword. Um, and but you're still rolling for the random attacks. You do get attacks in the charge phase, so you can actually shoot, charge them, and then attack again with them that way. Um, but they're just so overshadowed by their their big brothers, the salamanders, that you, uh, you probably don't see them very often. I've got a bunch on my shelf back from when they were really good last battalion, but or last battletone, but. Because they because salamanders are so strong with the alpha strike, you know the best defense is offense, and I feel like they kind of fall into that category that you're better off going hard with your salamanders than waiting to counterattack with 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 your razorons. Yeah. Uh, there's some units like the engine, the god, and bastilled on that that can be they can get they can still be pretty good in starborn, but I think they really shine over and coalesced in thunder lizards. So I think you'll see them mostly over in that, that sub faction where you can double tap both of those and shoot an extra time for them. Cause when they're in starborn, you're literally halving their damage that they can output. So I think, I think they, they end up a lot more over in uh, coalesced. 
what about what about some of those combat monsters? You know, your old blood or your uh, your your, your scarvet on you know um, uh, a big carnosaur. Do they do they have a place in a list like yours? Um, they can, I mean they can be fit in. There, you're talking about a you know a 210 point monster. It's it's there's not many of those around, and they can actually put out quite a bit of hurt for 210 points. And and especially like the Scarvet, well, both of them, the Scarvet and the Old Blood on Carnosaurs are, are kind of self-supporting. They have a command point that they can use on themselves that makes them even better. So they, if if you've got one and you've got the points, yeah, they can be they can be great. They can be great in the army. I've, I have found that they are good solo pieces. You can just have them like on the flank and they do it themselves. Yeah. Obviously, in Coalesce, they're better when you can start buffing up your Saurus as well. Yeah. But but they're, they're not a bad little combat monster, especially for someone who might want to run it. And yeah. maybe uh, maybe the uh, a final question before we kind of start bringing this home is, I noticed you were quite conservative with your endless spells. And um, considering that Seraphon has the ability to bound endless spells, um, are there any endless spells that you like to take? So we've already talked about the cogs, you know, getting the plus two movement and plus two to charge. Um, I've already talked about Geminids and how the fact that you you can't get Geminids thrown back at you. Do you see it as like an offensive thing, like being able to throw, you know, the purple sun again, not coming back against you? Um, I think I think the burning head is a sleeper for most armies, mm-hmm. and in in Seraphine, it's a no brainer because you can't burninate yourself back, and you get to reroll once to hit within nine. Uh, yeah, there's 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 some that are incredible. Um, Geminids, bound Geminids is amazing. Um, bound Purple Sun is one of my favorites. It'll usually take a turn or two to get there, um, but once it does, it will harass the army the rest of the game unless they get. And it's it's a hard one to unbind because you have to roll a nine to unbind it, and so that thing will usually terrorize people. Um, great against high save elite armies where you're just going to say, "I'm going to remove units from or models from that unit." Um, other ones that are great, Burning Head, like you said, I love that one, Burning Head. I like that one a lot. Um, th- but there's some that I actually play just for the defensive capability, like um, Gnashing Jaws. It's cheap. It's probably not going to do a lot of damage, but what it is going to do is it's going to take up a lot of space. And the same with um, the, the Grave Tide. It's super cheap. It, it is a humongous endless spell. And so you put that thing on the board and just start moving it. I want to block this area. You're not going to get here. If you get close, I'm going to drag it over you and do D3 mortals. So there's some of those. If, if you've got, you know, that uh, 30 to 40 points left at the end of your list, look at those in- bound endless spells. They are great. Um, if you've got 20 points, I actually really like the Miasmic uh, Maelstrom because what that does, it's, it's kind of a weird one. It's only 20 points for the bound version. And you can get it over onto the other side of the board turn one. And what it does is it gives you an extra unbind to every one of your enemy's spells. And what it does, I mean, it just gives you an extra unbind. So you try to unbind it with Croak, you fail. Um, then you get another unbind with this. And it powers up, powers up every time you unbind something, and then it explodes. So it's a pretty cool little one. It's very cheap. I find myself a lot with 20 points left over with nothing to do with it. I slot that right in. Love it. I love it. Uh, a couple of quick ones. Seraphon has the ally pool of Stormcast and Silverdeath. Do you find any particular units are maybe worth bringing in or you just don't have the points? Um, if I think if you're looking for one, um, you might. Mm. 
Celestent Prime isn't a bad choice, especially if, if you're looking in some place that doesn't have teleports or you want something else to teleport into range because he, he starts off the board. He's 300 points. He's very cheap. He starts off the board, and then he comes in. He's going to be coming in turn three usually, and he's going to hit like a Mack truck when he does. And so it, it provides a, a really nice late-game piece. Um, yeah. From and it's a really, really good dice manipulation as well, being able to, uh, you know, use a Comet Scepter to do some damage at range. Yeah. You can re-roll a dice. It almost guarantees the charge. Uh, I Actually, funnily enough, when we talked about Ripidactyls and, and, you know, spending points on the Ripidactyls plus the Battalion and maybe the Hero to make it consistent, you're probably better off bringing in a Prime. Like, for, for the same points, you're probably going to spend similar points. Yeah. You'll just get so much more value with Prime time. There, there are a couple other options, too, that are pretty useful. Um, one is any of the Stormcast Wizards. They have one that's 90 points and the Everblaze Comet, which is a fantastic spell. Uh, my, my oldest son runs the Comet constantly, and he hits that. He Before our new book, where I can unbind that thing all the time, he would, he would drop that Comet on me constantly. It's an AoE damage that just pulses, and then on the next turn, it pulses again. Um, so that's a great one. It's only a hundred points. You can have a ninety points he, uh, wizard to cast it, and it's nine, and it's minus one to hit as well. So it's minus one oh. to cast. Sorry, it's minus oh, one to okay. cast as well. So you can do damage to your wizards or your opponent's yeah. wizards and make it harder for them. And then you still have the, uh, the ability to unbind so many things with Slan. There, there is a little bit a a the Lord Arcanum on foot has a unique ability that he can spend a command point to move an endless spell d6 inches and so if you the lord, have, Ar the lord arcanum mm -hmm, i think so um lord arcanum on foot though yes, yeah, yeah. so like if you cast um let's say bound purple sun um you can then spend a command point which you'll probably have a couple on him to move it further and it's a stackable command trait and so you can if you've got enough command points you can get just about any endless spell across the board with that guy so, uh, pretty useful. Um, I'm trying to think. That, I, I don't really have anything from Sylvaneth, any models. So I don't know that I would take anything from there. Um, I think they're kind of in a bad place right now. But maybe, maybe, maybe tree revs, having the ability to teleport around the board yeah. quite cheap. Maybe they're probably the only yeah. thing. Um, like, aren't they? They're like 80 points or something, right? Yeah, like 80, 90. Okay. I think about 80 points. And yeah, with the with the wave pipes, they can they can teleport. So yeah, yeah. That would probably be a nice little support screen or going for objectives and not having to waste your uh, lords and space and time on securing objectives, for example. Yeah, yeah. Other than that, yeah, um, yeah. Not uh, go trek is a really fun one. If you're, uh, how does that work? Go Trek? He 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 can he can ally in any order. Oh yeah. No 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 no. Like I know what Go Trek is. And oh. I know what he can do. But I'm one. I, I'm I'm curious on how Go Trek would work in a Seraphon list. And um, so you don't have you don't have any ways to move him up the board quicker. No, you're gonna auto run him turn one. I played him a lot uh, before we got a new book in Seraphon, and he was pretty fun. Um, he's just kind of that that melee. Um, hero that you wouldn't have maybe in a in a fangs list a starborn list you may not have a big beat stick he can definitely be that um he has a lot of points and there's not there's nothing really you can do to buff him you can heal him with uh, a slon spell up one that can kind of help but um yeah if you're just looking to fill some points with an ally that works 
yeah, he's uh, he's pretty good. I mean, there's a lot of trade off for for, for um, someone oh, like Gotri. Oh. Like I'm looking at your, your first your fangs of Sotek list. You'd have to drop down the 15 chameleon skinks and probably oh. your your salamander hunting pack to to get Gotrek. Yeah, but, I'm not I'm not taking too many allies right now. I'm squeezing everything I can out of those points um, with the stuff that I can synergize. So yeah, yeah. No, I dig it. I dig it. And I think the last. The last question I've got to bring up, and I'm even going to bring it up uh, on the screen. I don't normally do this very often in uh, list chats because it can be quite distractive. Uh, Orbs had asked us about beard routines. Let's bring it home <laughs> with beard routines. You are a man with an exquisite beard. Uh, I am growing like a wine with age, just getting yes, grayer yes. and grayer. Uh, tell me about your beard routine. Tell me how do you make it so luscious and so wonderful? I imagine it's because of all the barbecue in Texas that uh, <laughs> this like radiant oily glow yeah yeah now you know this is a this was a covid beard and so i've i've never had a beard before and i uh made a joke against the wife and i said hey i'm gonna i think i'm gonna grow a beard during this time off and she goes as long as you cut it before when covid is over well it's been a while so it, it just keeps growing so we'll we'll see um, it's it's funny someone in my chat so in my YouTube comments the other day, um, they watched a video that I recorded um, in April 2020, and I made a comment, and they're like, oh, COVID will be over by the end of the year. I think I was talking <laughs> about Gamecon or some type of tournament. Oh, yeah, COVID, I think, yeah, COVID will be over by the end of the year. And they're like, oh, yeah, how's that going for you? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm missing tournaments, that's for sure. So hopefully we'll, we'll get some. I've got a tournament scheduled here in, in the next month, so hopefully it'll it'll actually happen. That's the first one that we've had in a long time, so maybe we'll uh, we'll get some, some things on the table. I do have a good group of guys that I play with just about every week, and so we have been able to to keep to keep the dice rolling during all this all this uh, madness. So uh, yeah. Yeah, I've been really lucky to um, to have face-to-face uh, -face games. I've got a, I've got a, a literally a one-day tournament tomorrow for three games. Um, I've got a whole bunch of gaming happening this month, and then I've got a one a two-day tournament coming up. Um, I funnily enough, I'm running a I'm running a one-day tournament next month, and it's it's looking like it's going to be a 50, 50 person wow. one day. Awesome, absolutely mental. Yeah, it's crazy. It's it's I've sold out three times. Heywo Twitch is telling me that uh, he is a sandalwood beard oil person. Um, I also like my sandwood, uh, sandal, sorry, sorry, sandalwood oils. Yeah. Um, I do also, when I was in Greece, I, uh, I found this, this little Greek place and I bought a couple of them and it's like a, more of a cream and it's made of like olive oil. It's yeah. just wonderful. Yeah. Um, I took this smell of olive oil all day that my, uh, half ethnic blood just like, I just feel <laughs> like I want to like make some bread with some garlic and just like eat it, but yeah, yeah. Uh, more about your routine. Um, Man, I, I'm a beard noob, so I've got some beard oils and stuff. You know, I've been experimenting with trying to keep it keep it lush, but now I'm I'm learning. <laughs> my, my secret for you, Caleb, is that I now have a beard straightener, so it's like a little uh, okay. hairbrush hairbrush that has like like a little heating element. Oh, and nice! It makes, it makes it straight. So if that's the, okay. that's, okay. that's my gift back to you for such wonderful Beautiful. content around Seraphon. Yes, awesome, awesome. <laughs> Do you want to give any shout outs? Anything you want to mention? Uh, clearly, again, Caleb is a, uh, a Seraphon extraordinaire. Uh, link below. Go check out his channel. Give it a sub um, if you love your Seraphon or if you want to learn how to beat these space demons. And, and, uh, and there's some there's some an excellent website, Lustria Online. If if you if you're interested in Seraphon stuff, 
that is an excellent community. Uh, go throw your lists around in there. There's always Seraphim talk going on there. An entire website devoted to the Lizardmen. So it's pretty awesome. I'd, I'd definitely definitely check them out if you're interested. Shout out to yeah, that, that, that is, it's it's actually quite cool to see some of the old um, old forums. Like I go back to the Empire mm-hmm. Online forum, and they've got some wonderful Age of Sigma content. Lustre Online is another one. I've been going yeah. to Druki recently, so it's it's amazing to see these, these communities still around. But is there any shout outs you want to make other than Lustre Online? Uh, not off the top of my head. Um, if you're in Texas, look up you know your local group. We've got a Texas Masters. One of these days we'll get it going again. It's an excellent excellent tournament run by Matt Taylor and some of the guys here in Texas. Uh, so if you're, if you're in my neck of the woods, uh, look us up and we start that again and, and come meet me on the table. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to coming back to America. Texas is definitely a place that I want to go to. Uh, I want to meet up with you. I want to meet up with Lawmaster SoTech. I want to meet up with anyone who's in Texas. I want to do some barbecue again. I absolutely miss it. That's yeah. Caleb, thank you so much for your time. I learned a lot. Uh, we've now looked at both Coalesced and Starborn. So do go check out the other video I did with Caleb if you want to see the other side of the fence and see how he built things around Carnosaurs, Engines of the Gods, Degadons, the other side of Seraphine. I think we've got a nice little juxtaposition between the two. Yep, absolutely. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you look at my channel, I'm going to have a battle report of this exact list I did coming up soon versus... Uh, uh, some Nurgle. So check it out. All right. All right. We've done enough shout outs. Go check his stuff out. Guys, we're wrapping up. Thanks for your time. And uh, we'll chat all again soon. So I hope you found that discussion valuable. If you did, give the video the old thumbs up. And if you have a comment or an insight, leave it in the comment section below. The champions over here are my AOS coach Patreons and YouTube members. So you guys are bloody legends. Thank you for all the support. If you want to know more about the support programs, the links are below down here in the episode description, along with a link to the Discord server, so we can continue this conversation. Until next time, don't forget to name your characters and have a good one.